Welcome, everyone, to Dabo's Fingers, episode 151, Blue Flame. I'm Scatty, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Matt. Hello, everybody. So good to uh, be in your ears on this fine evening. This episode, we're covering chapter 73, Eggs. You have to say it like that. Eggs. Eggs. Uh, Through Poison, chapter 78. So this episode's kind of an interesting one. You've got Quoth and Denna, our fearsome twosome. Having a hearty meal with a local, finding a sort of living dragon, uh, stumbling upon a secret drug cartel, and one of them gets totally high. It's on accident. But they do get high. I mean, there's wholesome-ish kids uh, who are getting high on accident and also planning to poison a dragon. So That's right. Good kids. That's right. Good kids. Good kids. I mean, good kids. You know, we'll get through it, but stopping a potentially rampaging beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get to a couple announcements. Uh, for those paying attention to uh, the Gregorian calendar, it's it's February by the time this episode releases, and it's getting close to a song of madness time, and it is happening. And Matt and I are very excited about it. We have some fun ideas. No, we're not giving them to you. I tell you, no, I'm not bluffing and and pretending we have ideas that we don't. We spent an hour talking about it before actually recording tonight. You guys are going to be furious. It's going to be awesome. They're fun ideas for us. Yeah, fun for us. Yeah, you guys are going to be furious. I can't. We don't care whether you like them. (laughs) Uh, But there will, though, be a special Patreon event around Song of Madness. We do like to do something special for our patrons around the kickoff kickoff of the Son of Madness, and that will happen as well. Uh, something we're really excited about on that front too. So pay attention there, patrons. And That's right. Last announcement: we're moving Matt to a different schedule. Yeah, we're, we're gonna... gonna start recording a little bit more frequently again. Well, I was thinking like Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter. Yeah. That sounds less, way less frequent, but <laughs> it would be the first time we recorded near Christmas. It would be. So we're would, coming off. We're chance. coming off a fairly lengthy Christmas break. We are indeed holiday break. It was a holiday break, one I mm-hmm. enjoyed immensely. It took me, me. It took me a while to get to get the motivation to get back into this. I took a yep. nice long, a nice long break. Yep. Here um, we are, January twenty fifth. Feels good, baby. But even in that break, Matt, I spent a good portion of my time reading the sequel to this book, A Wise Man's Fear. So you did. I wasn't totally taking the time off and being lazy. You me. did. I took the time off completely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's not work reading these books. It's uh, so much fun for me. Yeah. One thing uh, we were doing, I suppose we could we could put this out there, is uh, many of you may already know, but Scat and I just completed a huge reread project with our friend Aaron over at the Star Wars Legends Lounge podcast. I think we we've talked about it on here at least a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we read all 19 books, 19 books of the New Jedi Order series. That's a Star Wars Legends series that takes place about 30-ish years after the events of Star Wars A New Hope. 25, 25 or 30, I think, is what yeah. it says. Yeah. Right. Uh, and 
us along with some of our friends, K2, Justin, Kat. We took turns reading the books with Aaron and discussing them on his podcast. So check that out at Star Wars Legends Lounge. Um, and then we recently just did a wrap-up episode where we got to kind of do a round table with Aaron and all our fellow guest hosts. It was a lot of fun. So, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like we could have talked to that group for hours on end. Um, 100%. About lots of things, kind of like, kind of like our podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Aaron is such a great host and such a a nice guy and great wrangler of humans. Gave us all gifts, gifts for, for, for participating, which was which was super nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, go, if if you're interested in Star Wars at all and want to to try out some some old new stories that you may not have read before, check out the new Jedi, new Jedi Order series, and you can listen to our voices as well as some others covering that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to get into it. Uh, we're spoiler free for the Killer Chronicle as we cover it here. Uh, we will bring spoilers in at the end of the podcast for a special segment we call Debbie After Dark. Uh, that means we won't spoil future content that does not occur in these chapters during the regular sections of this podcast. Not until that end section where we spoil things. So listen with ease. Yep. We love to hear from you guys. We really do. So find us. We are DavosFingers at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter, at DavosFingers. We're also on Blue Sky, same handle. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, too. And go check out our Patreon program. Like we said, we're going to be doing some fun stuff around A Song of Madness. And uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash DavosFingers. Indeed you can. Uh, and I just have one more thing to say before we dive into the content, Matt. Mm-hmm. That is Go Lions. Go Lions. By the time this episode releases, we will know whether or not they are playing in the Super Bowl. Right. And I will be either frowning as you listen to this episode or smiling and beaming as you listen to this episode, depending on which happened. And I, I hope you're just Lions happy no matter what, bro. You've done so good. Yeah, you look it's great true. in your Lions it's, gear. It's been a nice season, regardless of whether they get there. Oh, the people crying and stuff. I mean. In a journey. Oh. Between the Lions and Jason Kelsey, like... Football's just in a good place right now. <laughs> did, did I see he dove off of out of the balcony or was that a photoshopped image? I did not oh, see this live. He he climbed out of the suite okay. and like mingled with the crowd cool. with his shirt off and everything. Um, what a quality human. He's a great dude. Did you see the thing where he picked up the little girl who had the Taylor Swift sign and no. showed it to... So no. he was out amongst the crowd, shirt off, beers in both hands or whatever. And he sees a little girl. She was like eight years old in the section below him, you know, and she's uh-huh. holding up a Taylor Swift sign because Taylor was at the game, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so he called her up and he said, you know, he was like, can I pick you up and go, let's go show Taylor your sign. And he uh-huh. picked her up in his arms. No shirt. <laughs> walks nice. her, walks her up back up to the suite. And he's like, show her the picture. And he's like, wave at Taylor. And Taylor waved at her and everything. And then they turned around and took a picture together. And then he sent her back to her mom. But yeah, just like, what it's, a guy. It's going to be diabolical when she breaks up with Travis Kelsey the night before the Super Bowl. <laughs> and writes like a song about it, of, blaming him. Some sort of 49er agent. <laughs> It's been placed deep within the Chiefs network or something. (laughs) 
she's really dating. She'd been dating Brock Purdy the whole time. <laughs> yes. Psych. <laughs> do people say, do the kids say psych anymore? <laughs> Bro, that's cap. Uh, bussin' bussin' no cap. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. Here we are. Looking at Dallas fingers. The whole, the whole thing. <laughs> All right. Do you want to start with pegs? Let's start with pegs. Pegs. Okay. Diving into name of the wind. Done with all this football talk. Let's talk about some high fantasy. High-ish fantasy. Uh, You might remember, Scad, that where we left off with our heroes was in the forested hills and bluffs outside of Trebon, where Quoth and Denna had gone to look for more clues of the Chandrian as well as look for Denna's mysterious patron, Ash, after coming away with more questions than answers at the Mothin farm. It wasn't long before these two came upon a kindly local swine herder named, here we go, Skoivan Shemelpfeneg. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, they call him Shem who they charmed for information about what in the world is going on around these parts. Shem was liberal enough in sharing what he knew, especially after getting a few drops of brand in him. They discover from Shem that when the Mothin farm, when farmer Mothin first started building his farm on Borarill, which Quoth finds out is actually just the locals way of saying Barrow Hill. He came upon large buried stones and bones, lots of bones. Uh, such an ominous find might scare away most builders, but Mothin, undeterred, used the stones for his farm's foundation. Shem finds this to be the greatest offense to the karma gods. And what's more, rumor is Mothin found something in a sealed stone room underground according to Shem, something of extreme value that he was waiting to reveal at the wedding as a gift to his daughter. Some sort of, I don't know, priceless heirloom, perhaps? Shem also admits that he doesn't spend much time in these woods due to strange happenings going on within, especially to the north. And here Shem gets a little more guarded, but he does reveal that two nights ago, he saw a huge blue flame shoot into the sky three times in the middle of the night in that direction. So their attention sufficiently peaked, Kvoth and Denna identify a hill a mile or two distance that if they can get to by that night, they should have a clear view of the northern bluffs where Shem said he saw the blue fire. That ends the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, uh, an interesting one. Get a little little bumpkin wisdom, uh, a little local knowledge. Uh, nothing, nothing like being able to find somebody who lives in the area, really fill you in on what's going on. Yeah, conveniently placed. Conveniently placed, yes. <laughs> Work for that security guard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Seemed extraneous at the time. Uh, not the first well, time we've made that Wayne's World reference. No, won't be the last. Probably not. Uh, the I one mean, thing Quoth doesn't know how to do, Matt. Do you remember from this chapter? 
what is it scan both just knows how to do everything in this book right like it's oh true. yeah i know how to do that i picked that up because my troop like sources no i know how to do that of course i spent years on the stage i can fool anyone with you know, knows how to do everything i can bow i can handshake i can do everything he does not know how to hold a knife that's true. Denna has to Den- teach him. Denna has to teach him how to hold a knife. And it seems like a weird thing for him not to know. That's all I'm saying. He had the guy in the in the troop that was like a swordsman guy. Even That's true. had like a little sword he trained with and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Feels like other things both wouldn't know that wouldn't be on the list. I hear you. It's 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 specifically though how to hold the knife. When you're fighting somebody, though, right? Like for yes. real skis. Yeah. Is what Den is telling him. Yeah. So maybe not. I mean, he wasn't yeah. really trained in other types of sword play and stuff, was he? No, I'm sure he wasn't trained as a professional knife fighter. I guess. You're right, though, that he does have a lot of just like seemingly just like, yes. oh, he pulled that Horrible knowledge out knowledge. of his butt. Yes. Yeah. But he doesn't know that you twist, you hold the knife with your finger kind of along the blade, according to Denna. He's been carrying this knife for a long time. He's mm-hmm. like had it for a while. We're supposed to believe he's never like figured out how to cut with it without hurting him. It's a, anyway, it's a quibble. <laughs> it's just with all the stuff he tells us he knows. I would think he'd know how to use the thing that he carries around for defense and right. he doesn't carry it for defense, but he uses it all the time to cut apples and do you think he knows the leverage points and how it anyway, like how to it. stab someone in the neck without cutting your own thumb up. Yeah. You know, doesn't He'll... quite know that one yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, glad I'm glad he hasn't had to stab someone in the neck. That's that's good. So but... obviously oh, go ahead. the highlight of the chapter is the way that Rothfuss writes the way that Shem talks, right? Yeah. I believe we call that, I mean, you could say he's spelling it, what, uh, phonetically or onomatopoeia? What is that? Onomatopoeia? Yeah, where you sure. spell it like it sounds. It's self spell like it sounds, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead of fine-looking herd, they say fine-looking herd. Yeah. Or nay a herd, shep and cows make a herd, pegs yeah. make a sounder. Is that so? <laughs> yeah. But instead of saying, is that so? He said, is that so? And he spells it E S as at instead of that. So S O O. And there are whole conversations for pages in that language. How how did it work with your brains, Gad? Was it tiring? Well, what, Was it fun? What I like is that um, much like happens when you're talking to someone with an accent that you're not super familiar with, you do get an ear for it and you it becomes more familiar to you. And Patrick geniusly reduces the amount of accent in the words and it becomes more normal looking the words become regular as both and Denna become accustomed to hearing it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes just almost like regular written English. There's mm-hmm. still a few, but it, instead of every word being weird, it's like every eighth word is weird. Right. And I love that. It's a, it's an interesting device that 
that Pat uses, you know, going from that automatopoeia to just language we recognize because theoretically the people listening have gotten used to it. Um, it works fine for me. I have, I, I can't, I wish I could remember who it is because it's clear as a bell in my head. I can hear the actor saying it, but there's a specific actor with a, with a, an accent that I use when I'm reading this to, to fill my oh, head. Yeah? And I, I can't, I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it's from, but I can hear it in my head. Um, if I think of it, I will, I'll remind you. I can almost Please even do. see him. It's very weird. Uh, but I love it. it. It is one of my favorite parts of this chapter. Is how it is very it easy to imagine it. Yeah. That yeah. accent. You can just hear it. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's very yes. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the runner-up to the best part of this chapter is the description of this crackling pig that sounds oh, so hungry. Yeah. I, so hungry. My mouth waters every time I read this scene. Um, roast pig. I've, I've only had roast pig. I think like in the manner that they're talking about one time, uh, it was good. It good, was man. Kind of, yeah. Like, did you do it like in a, a luau or something? We did a hardcore when my, um, so my brother's wife, yeah, she's from uh, Tonga. She's Tonga, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the wedding reception, that side of the family went told me all yeah, yeah. out. And we had two roasted pigs, just yeah. like full on laid out on the table, just like you imagine apple in the mouth, yeah. roasted pigs. Brother, brother, <laughs> could have died. Co- when I was in college, they had a, a Hawaii club. Oh. Um. And one of my one of the people on my dorm floor is a freshman. His name was Lucas. He was from Hawaii and was part of the Hawaiian club. And he invited like several people from our dorm floor to go. And they roast a pig in the ground, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I had never heard of at that time. Mm-hmm. But it was it was pretty good. But I didn't get nearly enough. But it was good. Ukuwakahiki, uh, come on, you wanna lay me? Also, Wayne's world. Wayne's world comes back again. <laughs> uh. Third time pays for all, as quote says. Uh, I like I prefer lamb. Lamb is kind of like yeah. I have a rule. I have a rule. If I go to a restaurant, I have a rule to like. If they've got a like a nice lamb, I'm supposed to order it. I break the rule sometimes. Like if I'm at a nice restaurant, they've got a good lamb on the, on the menu. You'll get it. I like to order it. Yeah. What do you like about lamb? Just, I don't know. You just like the it? Texture. The texture. Uh. I mean, you know, it all depends on how it's prepared, of course, but sure, it's always been just very flavorful and, and juicy and moist and mm. not, it's not tough. Yeah. Maybe I just haven't had a good experience. one yet. Yeah. Yeah. We just haven't Do you have anything like yet. that where you're, where you're like, if you see it on the menu, you're like, I'm getting that. Mm, uh, Play in the field. Great Western bacon from Carl's Jr. I don't know. I like to eat around. <laughs> uh, my favorite steak is picanha. So, your favorite, your favorite steak is picanha. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that the Brazilian? I guess it's a cut. Yeah, the Brazilian preparation. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, we get the bumpkin wisdom. Nothing plugs a man's ears like money. He says. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. And this mobbing guy. What, what do you think of this mobbing guy? 
I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I think even I, if I found like bones and like relics in our sealed off room, I'd be like, okay, well, let's, let's put that back. <laughs> Just out of respect. This belongs so. in a museum. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose the pot, maybe I wouldn't, but the bones I would want to undisturb, leave undisturbed. Correct. Yeah. How, how do you feel about this moth and guy and his? A part of me kind of admires him, <laughs> like that he's just like don't care. Yeah, it's mine now. <laughs> yeah, mine. I bought it's it. Mine. It's mine. Yeah. Ireland. Ah, it's mine. Braveheart. 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 Nice. That might be one of our first ever Braveheart polls on this it podcast. Man, I used to watch that movie a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah, part of me admires him. Like, I don't care. Bought yeah. this hill. Like, I'm gonna put my farm on it. <laughs> like, I got a farm to build. Like, <laughs> it's not a national park, is it? Like, yeah. It's, then I don't care. Like, <laughs> what do you think of of the explanation of it being a Barrow Hill? Um, that's a good question. I don't care. <laughs> like <laughs> total apathy is what i think Scott. <laughs> yeah like like what what about you i just i found that to be a very odd little sequitur in the chapter right was yeah. that in this chapter or is it in the next chapter where they start talking about it more where no, they talk about it one. being a fort and stuff no it's in this one because this is where they this is the chapter where they have where they look from the top of this barrow hill out over to the other see one. See the other the other hill that they want to go okay, okay, yeah, take yeah, a look yeah. at because it's bigger than than where they are. Um but yeah I didn't love I didn't love Quoth's explanation, I guess, is where I was I was leading you to. Uh. He explains that people that don't dig barrows and don't know what they're like would call it Barrow Hill, even though it's not really barrows. Right? And he's like they're not he says they're not really barrows, they just assumed they're barrows. Because they don't know what a barrow is. And what's a barrow, Scad? Well, it's like a place kids where, you at bury, home. where you bury people. It's like a it's like a tomb kind of a tomb, yeah, an underground yeah. tomb mm-hmm. that would cre- that would create this sense of like hills, right? Um, little little hills. You you kind of uh, exaggerated versions of them. You can see them in uh, Lord of the Rings movie. Theoden. Um, Theoden right has the talks about the flowers and no one should outlive their son. That whole speech mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, uh, but, but the logic to me goes like, well, if they don't dig barrows, why would they use that word? If it's not something they're from, like, if, if I don't make burritos, am I likely to use the phrase wrap it up tight like a burrito? Maybe. If I don't, yeah. like, if I don't know how to make them or use them or I don't eat them, is that a phrase I'd likely use? Like, why wouldn't they pick a different name? I don't know. I didn't like that, uh, that explanation. Just that whole so, part was just odd to me. It's like, I it think was it's. Odd. I, we're going to talk about this whole thing, make it seem like a big deal because it's going on for a page, two pages or whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's just a fort. All right, well, let's go over there now. And yeah. we're going to hike yep. to that hill. And yeah, that's it. It it does, and, and maybe a little for Debbie After Dark from the next chapter we're about to get to, but it does, you know, that it used to be a fort. It does raise some questions about this area. Sure. And the waystones. Yep. Why why they're there, you know, things like that. Um, you know, it, it implies that this 
and I think quote says as much in the chapter, it implies that this was this used to be a much more trafficked area. This was a hopping area. Maybe. Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in Debbie after the in the next chapter. Maybe. How about all the that's what she said jokes in this block of chapters, Kat? Are I hit me with them. Like, I did notice I did notice some flirting resuming, but I don't I don't know that I, I got a lot of that's what she says. What do you got? Um so when Shem asks uh Denna what kind of what cut of the pig she'd like, she says, I've always oh, had yes. a liking for Tahinder parts myself. Denna said, then flushed in embarrassment and looked down. Shem showed his true gentlemanly nature by refraining from any crude comments. <laughs> <laughs> That's one. There's and, at and least one more coming up. And that's subtly manipulative of her, right? Mm. Like she's saying that to like, it's not flirting exactly, but it's like mentioning, you know, a little saucy detail that maybe a little gets them excited and interested, a right? Saucy. Maybe a little more willing to share information because they're mm -hmm. she's, mm -hmm. you know. So was she doing that for Shem or was she doing that for Quoth? Oh, I think she was doing it for Shem for sure. She's trying to she's trying to loosen them up. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. She's playing that game. Yeah. All right. With the with the looking down shyly and the you know the whole act. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, final quibble. I thought it was funny that Quoth was completely blind to the first opening scene when he thinks it's a boar and it's actually a pig. Yeah. I don't know. It's very funny. I feel like that's. It was right there. Dennis saw it was a pig right away. And he still it, thought it was yeah. a boar. Like, yeah. It's like, dude, yeah, it's, a, I, it's that's a pig, man. Like, yeah. You can't see that? That's a pig. It speaks to... I don't know whether Pat's doing it on purpose. And I don't want to get too deep into it. It's maybe a Debbie thing, but... You know, Dennis sharp. She knows things, and maybe Pat's using this as a... You know, she sees things maybe that other people don't immediately see. Okay, so it's but less I, less both well, being blind and just Denna. I'm not going to. Well. I'm not going to disagree with the way you interpret it because I like my knife thing. It's like it seems stupid. I Bro, agree. Yeah. I wonder if that's what he was trying. If that's what he was trying to accomplish mm -hmm. is like she's you know she's calm and she sees things as they are. And Quoth is, you know, not that reliable with what he, with his perceptions as he thinks he is sometimes. Which, yeah. you know, the, the reliable narrator thing is something we've talked about quite a few times. Uh, he calls himself in that same scene, he calls himself crazy as Elodin on his first on his worst day, is how he looked. Um, the one his one shoe off and mm -hmm. his, you know, mm -hmm. wild hair, and he's poised like a wrestler with the knife. Um but he is both is willing to just kind of call it like it is and make fun of himself when he's got it wrong. And so it is one of those things sometimes where I chafe at the unreliable narrator narrative because he, he does seem to kind of see most things truly. It's why he's good at naming. Um, and I think he sees himself pretty truly as well. Um, anyway, I'm certain, I'm sure there are some things he's unreliable with, but. I think I feel like we can usually trust him, though he could be wrong. Huh. But I think he's honest about his assessment. 
sometimes he intentionally lies. We'll get to some of that later too. We will. We 100% will. It's starting to drive me insane. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to go to chapter 74 if you let's are. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. let's do it. Uh, this one's called Waystone, everybody. So Denna and Quoth arrived at the summit of that northern hill they spied from Barrow Hill, just as the sun was setting. They weren't disappointed. The view was stunning and offering an unobstructed view look in every direction, including the rough terrain of the tall bluffs to the north where they wanted to see. The pair settled in for the night amongst a handful of gray stones on the top of the hill. Uh, three of them were even set up like a like a henge, right? Like in an arch. As they ate around a campfire, De Dena suddenly saw something in the distance, a flicker of blue light. It happened again. This time, Quoth saw it too. It seemed to be getting stronger, closer, before it stopped altogether. Okay, well, on to a new subject. They traded ideas for what Mothin found on his farm, according to Shem, that could have attracted the Chandrian. What was it that he found? Quoth posited that Mothin must have found something underground that the Chandrian couldn't allow to get out into the open, be it an item or some sort of knowledge or maybe both. Denner runs with the theory from there, suggesting that the reason the Chandrian came to the wedding was maybe to erase all knowledge of that something's existence, leave no uh, stone unturned. I don't know, but to quote, that sounded eerily like a reason for killing an entire troop of Edema Ru. It's later when Quoth was awakened by a frightened Denna. Shh, she warns. Listen. Both heard it. The sound of something large lumbering up the hill. They couldn't see it in the darkness, but they could hear large tree branches, not like little pieces of kindling, large branches breaking in its wake. And its huffs and its grunts resonated in Quoth's chest like thunder. The scared pair fled to three of the graystones, the ones that had been left in that arch formation, and they scramble their way up the 12 feet to the top. As they peered over the edge down at their small camp, the creature came into view. It was black, at least six feet tall, 15 feet long. It moved close to the ground like a lizard. As it tasted the air, it suddenly loosed a burst of flame from its mouth. Blue flame. They'd found a dragon. It's the end of the chapter. That leaves us a bit on a, a bit on a cliffhanger there. Oh my goodness! What's going to happen? See you next time, Kalisar. Yeah, we'll tell you what I was in just a second. Big, scary, fire-breathing creature sounds like a dragon. Other than the low to the ground bit. Yeah, like a lizard. But I don't know. When I think yeah. of this guy, I think of How to Train Your Dragon. Because he's black. Mm. The dragon's black on that. Mm -hmm. What's his name? It's some sort of funny name. Uh, oh, what's the yeah, name of the dragon uh, and how to train your dragon? Toothless, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Toothless? I imagine Toothless. Or I imagine, I'm surprised like, I pulled that. Good job, man. You, were your, were your kids into that, those movies? Were boys uh, into those? Not super then? into them. Like, I think we watched the first two or first three of them, maybe. We watched yeah. the first two or three. Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't. it wasn't something we watched, you know, on repeat like some other things. Right. Like Planes 2. Oh, my God. 
Your kids were into planes too, fire and rescue? Well, they were, yeah. Bro, we've never talked about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and the first one too. Chewy the was first one way into more, fire and rescue. They were into the first one more, but the second one's bad. It's, it's one of her more. <laughs> it's not bad. It's, it's, it's not okay. bad. But, yeah. So, Might. This is a racing plane. Let's see how we can make more money. That's a different mm-hmm. concept. Chewy was way into Fire and Rescue. He watched that movie all the time. I think that was maybe the first movie we took our boys to the theater to see. Dang. I think. Yeah. Fire and Rescue. Lane's Fire and Rescue. Check it out. Check it. Check, 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 check it out. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm not actually. sure we're recommending it, but yeah. you can. The next uh, films get fingered. <laughs> fire and rescue. We'll be doing planes. Fire and rescue. Uh, I feel like I used to quote movies like The Godfather, and now I quote planes. Fire and rescue. <laughs> I hope the Kalasar enjoys my de-evolution. That's where we're at in life, dude. Uh huh. That's where we're at in life. Uh... Um. Or a Pokemon. I imagine it being like a Pokemon. Okay. Yeah. What's the one with the flower I've... on its back? Um, I don't remember. I'm embarrassed that I don't remember. It's one of like the main Bul- Pokemon, Bulbasaur. right? Bulbasaur. Bulbasaur. There it is. It's like a Bulbasaur yeah. without the flower on its back. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Bulbasaur's got like a shell, I think. Hmm. He becomes... Mm-hmm. Squirtle, oh, squirt! Oh no, I think oh, Squirtle has the shell. Uh, Bulbasaur, he's got he's he's yeah, on, yeah, yeah. on all yeah, fours, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and he's got like a bloomy thing. Yeah. I'm not super into Pokemon, so yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the concept art. I don't mean to like diss the artists, but I I looked I looked them up to see like if there was any cool art in this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them miss the like it it specifically mentions in I think it's actually the next chapter, but. Mentions like the flat head, like the flat, almost like let's say shovel shape, something like that head, and everything gives it more. Most of the art gives it more of a common lizard type. Yeah, and I imagine it being like a almost like a I don't know, like a hammer, like a rock got dropped on it from above. Yes, flat. Yeah, Yeah. I'll find it. I'll find it when we get there. Yeah, it's uh. I think it's when it knocks over the tree later um, when it talks about it. But anyway, um, so still though, some good art, some good art out there about these things. Whenever you want. It's fun. And a fun little moment is a great tension building during that scene. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. We had the blue flame and then obviously marching up the hill. Yeah. Uh, bad yeah. things happen when you're at the top of a hill. Just ask, you know, uh, Sam. Carly, yes. you know, sure. stuff happens. Right. Stuff happens, fist of, man. Fist, fist of the first men. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and this is, you know, this is high fantasy. Dragons, dragons are a thing. There's magic. There's been magic. There's been demons. There's been all sorts of things. Why not dragons? Who knows what sounds, this thing could be? Sounds great. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um. What did you think, Scad, of the of the whole theory about the Chandrian being attracted to whatever Mothin found on his farm and that being the reason for the slayings? 
Right. So there's there's kind of two ideas, um, you know, two two ideas. One of them is that they <laughs> want the artifact, right? That whatever was dug up is important to them and they want to get it or something. That's Quoth's original idea. And then they're like, that doesn't make any sense. They wanted that. They just wait for the wedding to be over and kill two people instead of 40. Right. Right. Or whatever. And and her idea is that they want to, as you said in your summary, get rid of the entire knowledge of the thing. Everyone who talks to about them it, all out. Wipe it out. Right. And, and send an example too. Right. If there was anybody out there, you know, that knows that, that heard about this, they're not going to talk about it because bad juju. Right. Radio. <clears throat> so I I like the second theory. It irks me a little bit. It it I think I brought this up on a previous episode. It irks me sometimes that you know Quoth has this perfect memory of his time with his troop, you know, in some cases, but he forgets this moment that he's since unlocked about, you know, the parents singing the wrong sorts of songs and that Denna came to that conclusion before he did. Mm-hmm. Because you'd think You'd think he would have been like, oh, yeah, they want to kill everybody just like they killed my troop. I think both would put that together. And it again, kind of like I said in the last chapter, maybe it says more about Denna than it says about both that she gets there first. Right. She is. There's something to her. Right. Like she's smart and sharp and right. has knowledge about things that and, and gets to conclusions sometimes pretty quickly. Um, she's got good thinking head on her shoulders at the very least. Yeah. The way that you said that just made me think, is it possible that Quoth is somehow trying, he is trying to place Denna on a pedestal in this story mm-hmm. that's finally being recorded. It's an interesting thought. Like she taught me how to use a knife. Yeah. She recognized it was a pig instead of a boar. That's kind of a small thing, but she came to the conclusion of, the Chandrian wanting to wipe everyone out. Yeah. He maybe. he obviously holds her in a lot of reverence going back to when they first started talking about her to the chronicler. He does. And yeah. Yeah. It's possible that he's trying to like kind of build her, build her story up. I don't know mm-hmm. what the exact motivation would be. No, we don't. Maybe he's doing it because he is in love with her and he just wants to treat her right. Yeah. Um, or maybe, maybe she, she just noticed it first. <laughs> maybe it's <laughs> we, just we the know. truth. Yeah, maybe it's just the truth. But uh, yeah, more more in Debbie After Dark about that too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. More than meets the eye, perhaps. Yeah, it's in various ways. Um, good thing these graystones are here for what's about to happen find out uh got them falling asleep you ever had one of those where you're supposed to stay awake and you just can't um every movie i've gone to see in a theater for the past three years (laughs) you and i are so different four years (laughs) i never fall asleep during movies almost never really i didn't mean to it just hap- it started happening. It just yeah. started happening. Huh. Awen's that way. I mean, like, unless it's, you know, I mean, she's got to be tired. But, like, unless it's super engaging, yeah, she'll just nod off. 
mm-hmm. for sure. If it's if it's nine thirty or later, you know, like she's not making it, <laughs> right? Like, so, but I don't have that. I mean, I'll, I'll stay up if, if if I'm being told a story. Unless I'm really, really not interested, I can stay up for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Maybe it's because I've become like a big time. Well, we, the whole family has become big time movie snobs. And like when we go to the theater, yeah. we got to get the like reclining seats and everything. <laughs> and I sit and back in those suckers. Uh, uh, I put those seats. My feet are up. My head is back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Margot Robbie looks great on the screen. <laughs> but then when it's a Ken scene, uh, good night. <laughs> uh yeah we, i mean to be honest we don't go to go, go to the theater that much anymore we don't either yeah uh, the last thing we went to was couldn't even tell you i'm trying to think of the last movie we saw yeah don't know i don't even know dude sad a little bit it is a little sad uh, my M- amc stock is down in the dumps I know. <laughs> never never see that money again uh my mine is driving i think which is the worst time like i, I remember one time i was nearly at home uh, on my way back to college in tucson and uh i was like 30 minutes away on like one of the most dangerous highways in america oh man and i just could i just my eyes were just Falling, falling, just over and over and over again. I made it. Obviously, I'm here to talk about it, but it was, it was, it was dicey. touch and go for, for for 30 minutes. I'm I'm trying to stay awake, and it it's a road such that like until you get to the city, there's kind of there isn't really a safe place to pull off. Mm. The shoulder is so you had to keep and, going, and it's I mean I could have stopped if I pulled off of the road, you know, but like you know. Not the safest thing. It was night, and anyway. What, what if you would have pulled over and a Dracus would have gotten you? That'd have been amazing. That would have been at least a story worth telling, which is more <laughs> than this is. Can't believe I just told it. Uh, no, when I used to work graveyards, yeah, uh, I remember specifically one specific day where you know I leave at seven in the morning and I drive home, uh-huh. and I was pretty close. It was like a less than ten minute drive. Mm-hmm. And I specifically remember stopping at, there was one stoplight that I went through to get home. I remember stopping at that stoplight. And seriously, the next thing I remember is pulling into the driveway. Ooh. That's all I remember. That's crazy. Isn't that, isn't that freaky? But it, but it wasn't the thing that just happens sometimes where your thoughts take over and you don't, you just go through the motions. I mean, maybe. Like- it was up, but it was very much like I pulled in, I stopped, you have no and that like, yeah. and that like made me go, "Oh wow, I'm home!" Like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah, what like happened? You lost, like you lost time. Uh huh. Like I should have like looked time. at the clock and seen what time it was. Like, what if I went to IHOP and got some food and just like, <laughs> like, like Will Ferrell in old school? <laughs> you see old school? What happened? I blacked out. <laughs> That was amazing. What happened? I blacked out. <laughs> yeah. Will Ferrell. 
he's one of those guys. I feel like he just deserves everything he's gotten. I admit I don't really <laughs> know the guy like his character, but he's like he's legitimately funny every time I watch him. For sure. Just his delivery and timing. Even garbage stuff I don't want to see. I watch him and I'm like, that's funny. He got me again, this guy. He seems like he's always on. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I'd be exhausted around him. Yeah, he could be one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Or or is he or he's not like that at all. What if he's not? Yeah. Who knows? We will never find out. We no, like never hang nor do I. I don't know that I care to. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Will. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if Not I met really. you, I would be sufficiently starstruck and <laughs> yeah. talk about your your great work in the Lego movie. But... <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Talladega Nights. I mean, he's got a billion. Uh, his drama is actually quite good as well. Uh, I want to add one more thing before we move on to the next chapter, which we really haven't uh, really even talked about this chapter. I don't think. Yeah, we have. We talked about. Okay, we did talk about the Chandrian and the farm and the, yeah, and a little yeah. bit about the Dracus. Okay, yeah, Bulbasaur. Yeah, which we don't know is a Dracus yet. It's a Whoops. dragon. Sorry. Boom, but we'll find out in like literally the first sentence of the next summary correct uh while he's trying to stay awake quoth thinks about the fact that he didn't leave a letter for his friends <laughs> to, to like tell him like hey i'm not dead or and it really is inconsiderate and Quoth You're does right. a lot of both does a lot of things for people like big gestures you know to, mm-hmm. like that are really thoughtful yep with Ari, for example, right? Like, he's doing a huge thing with her. Yep. You know, like, she was fine on her own before she met him or whatever, but but he's really helping her, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a lot. Through companionship and through bringing her things and nutrition and all these things that he's, you know, he's doing. But he's kind of bad at, like, the most basic stuff. Sure. Just like, like saying being thank a you. Mm-hmm. Like, saying thank you, for instance. You know, like, I feel like he takes his friends for granted a little bit. They've invested a lot in him, him. man. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. They've invested a lot into Quoth. And immediately. his well-being. Uh-huh. Like, they immediately helped him. And I'm not saying he doesn't help them, too. I'm sure he does. But I don't know. He doesn't feel very grateful about it sometimes. And sure, like, I know his mind was on, you know, getting these answers. But, like, do people care about you? Yeah. If you were going to leave the the Rue caravan to go pick flowers, you'd tell them you were going, even though it was going to be for a couple hours. Right? Like, you're going to be gone for days. You should tell them. He, anyway. Yeah. I guess good on him for recognizing that he was a dick about it, but recognize it sooner. And it's, you know, not to spoil, but it's not the last time he does that. The streets of Tarbine really did a number on this kid. Uh, because you to do? your point, back when he was with the troop, he yeah. would have told somebody that he was going. Yeah. You know? And then he got so used to being nothing. It's true. Yeah, I mean, even being a little hard on him. He became so independent that nobody cared about his comings or goings. He didn't care about anybody else's comings or goings. 
very but, much self-preservation mode. Yeah. yeah. But this is the first time he thinks about them at all that we know of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not great either. It's really not. Yeah. I also feel like we'll come back to this. He does have that very one track mind thing. He's got that very squirrel mentality, <laughs> a little bit of, like we've yeah. said, I mean, I'm no doctor or psychiatrist, but yeah. would I throw out a little diagnosis of ADHD or something? Yeah, I think I would. Where he gets so hyper-focused on that one thing that it is it for him. Yeah. Chandrian! Chandrian, 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 Dracus! In this case. Almost sounded like the old Batman thing. All right, dude. Didn't 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 foresee that happening. All right. Interlude. Obedience. You ready? Yep. After proclaiming that he had seen a dragon, Quoth pauses his storytelling to let his audience at the end object to the notion. There's no such thing as dragons to begin with, but also. Both's audience is perhaps more likely to object than any other audience in this world of Temerans. It is revealed that the chronicler, Devin Lockheed, wrote The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus, one of the books Quoth had mentioned reading in an earlier chapter of this book. Chronicle shrugs and indicates that it is not his place to comment on the story, and that he agreed not to interrupt or to change anything in the story. Chronicler and Bast agree to continue on with the story however Quoth chooses to tell it, to which Quoth responds... There are a few things as nauseating as pure obedience. Both of you would do well to remember that. Very well, it was a dragon. And that's the end of this little interlude. One of the shortest interludes we get, maybe the shortest uh, in this book. I didn't even check. Um, And it's an interesting one, Matt. Uh, Maybe I'll just ask you Mm. directly, like, why pause the story for this? You know what I was yeah. thinking of? Uh, now she doesn't get eaten by the eel at this time. <laughs> oh, so, Princess Bride? Princess Bride yeah. I just want you to know that so you're not afraid or something. Isn't that, isn't that what it is? <laughs> oh, man. Now she doesn't get eaten by the eel at this time. I wanted to tell you because you were starting Good to look. Columbo. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Columbo and Kevin Arnold. Mm-hmm. Kevin Amold. Yeah, that's a good question. Reference. Why would you uh why would you pause the story here? Is it just for even more dramatic effect by Rothfuss making making you wait two more pages until you find out what happens to him? Yeah. Is it? We. I'm. That's not something I, I thought about. Looked, I should have looked a little closer. This is the first time we we are told that Devin Lockheed, the chronicler, wrote this book. Correct. Um. No. Do you remember? No, oh, the, he mentions that before. He does mention it. I went and because I was like, have they said something about this before? And yeah. Clear back in one of the other interludes. He's mentioned he's at the bar wiping it down and he's saying, I read your book years ago, The Mating Habits of the Common okay. Dracus. Quite the eye opener for a young man with his head full of stories. Okay. So we knew it already. 
So that's not a good reason to stop the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chronicler smiled so, to him in that chapter and said, I was a little disappointed. I went looking for a legend oh, and yes. found a lizard, a fascinating lizard, but a that's lizard right. just a the lizard same. Nonetheless. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. It's just the same. Yep. Uh, yeah. Okay. I remember that now. So, so that's not a reason, right. To just point out that he wrote this book. Um, and so you start to have to ask a question. Okay. Well, what's, you know, what's he, what, what's the point, right? <clears throat> and you have this, this, you know, the chapter is called obedience. You have this comment about there are a few things is nauseating, nauseating is pure obedience, almost as if he, even though they promised they wouldn't interrupt to correct him, he wishes in this moment they would. Correct. To yeah. keep him honest or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's also this phrase, uh, white mutiny. White mutiny. Yes. Yeah. Thoughts. Have you ever heard the term white mutiny? Well, nope. I had no idea what it meant at first. So I looked it up. Did you look it up? I did too. Okay. Appears... Do you want to go or do you want me to go? <laughs> well, what I found in my brief looking up was just an, an actual instance in yeah. our world's history called the white right. mutiny. Yeah, there was. And there's, I, I looked, I clicked on a few other links beyond the wiki entry that I saw and a couple other things that had that reference to the specific instance. It's, um, the general idea is, is, is like a slowdown strike. You heard a slowdown strike Mm. where it's like, yes, I'm doing my job. You can't fire me. I'm still putting the widgets here, but I'm doing it slower than I have to. And you're losing money. And until you address my problems, I'm going to keep doing, I'm still doing it, but you know, I'm not going to do it real fast. I remember my, my buddy, Adam had a job, a temporary job once doing construction, uh, out of college when he was looking for looking for work and uh you know he was just a 10 right he was getting paid whatever the low temp rate was and he was with a bunch of career construction guys you know they were they were on the job and they were getting paid to do a certain amount the more work they did apparently for this job the more they got paid sure. um, or the faster they finished the job and could move on to another job and get paid more. yeah time's so money. they wanted him to go fast right and he's got this big sign and he's carrying it on his back or whatever and trying to walk this truck and they're like Come on, man, move it, run. And at first he's like, you know, peer pressure. He's like, okay, I'll run. And then he's like, screw this, man. I'm getting paid no run. matter what. I'm getting paid $8 an hour. I'm not running. Like, and he, you know, explained it to them and they kind of scowl at him and they didn't like him. You know, he wasn't on that job for a long time anyway. So you didn't have to worry about workplace environment relationships and stuff. But similar idea of a slowdown strike. Uh, you follow orders, but but no more. You do exactly what was asked, but no more. You know, in like a military term, you might you obey your order, but you don't operate to the best of your ability to complete the task. You might not share information unless you're directly asked the specific question that would make you reveal that information. You're not really doing the human version of your job that people would expect. You're doing exactly what you were ordered to do. You said take position at the gate. You didn't tell me to stop anyone from coming into the gate. You just said take a position at the gate. Everyone should know you're implied, you know, as a guard to stop people from coming in. Leaving the room, yes. Um, but so 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 applying that to this story, right? What we have is Devin and I think Bast kind of agreeing, like, okay, you know, we're doing the bare minimum. We're listening to the story like we agreed, and we're not gonna call you out if you lie to us. 
about mm-hmm. a dragon or other things. And it almost what what I came, what I came to, you know, I didn't really put all this together all by myself. There's an awesome thread on Reddit by a guy named Smurfalicious who does a lot of posting on the on the on the Reddit. Um, but he he kind of lays it out. He's he's basically warning. He's basically warning both, or he's basically warning his audience that he's going to lie to them about this. And we can go more into that later as to what, what, feels that, like. what Smurfalicious theory is. But mm-hmm. he's getting tacit approval that they're not going to call him on this. Right. He can lie here and I guess maybe elsewhere, and we don't know where. He quote tolls from the beginning. He's like, some things I'm going to lie about in this story. And here he's getting like a reconfirmation, right? Yeah, we're going to record the story exactly as you tell it. You but have also free he's, reign. But also he's reticent falls. about that. He's reticent about that. He says, pure obedience sucks. You guys should be calling me out. So he's mm-hmm. like, he's got mixed feelings about it. Yeah, it's almost like he doesn't trust himself. How many lies will I tell mm-hmm. if I have tacit approval to do it? Exactly. Right? Yep. That's what's starting to drive me nuts with the story, Scad, like I said, is just never knowing like if he's telling a lie or if he's em- if he's embellishing this. Did he say this to make himself look better? Mm-hmm. Did he really come up with that idea? Like I'm starting yeah. to question everything I read. How do you think that this is a hard question to answer? When I it's not in my notes, I'm just thinking about it because of the way you put that. Uh how do you think that differs from any other story where somebody's telling it, or even if it's a, a, a you know like a first person narrative, like a yeah. first person POV version of a story, right? Right, like what what's different about the way either Patrick is approaching this or Quoth is? I don't know which is causing the problem, uh-huh. but I don't have an answer for you. By the way, this is just an honest question. Yeah, dude. What about Let's the way there. this is happening makes it awesome instead of just yeah, this is the way all stories are. Do you think it's because he gives little clues like this? Like it's Rothfuss basically telling Tell us, us like, don't trust this guy. Don't trust this guy. Yeah. Like we're dumb enough not to notice that the POVs are flawed in other stories because the author isn't calling it out and reminding us. Right. We're like, is, sometimes... is, is Rothfuss a bad author for leaving hints in there that make us think that he's an unreliable narrator or is he a great author for not some, I mean, this time he's hitting us over the head with a hammer with it, right? But a lot of the time, like earlier in this episode, when I was like, it seems unreliable, you know, sometimes he's doing it and we just kind of barely notice. And is that good? Because that's his intent. I think Which it is it. I think it, it, with how carefully he's writing these books, I have to think it's yeah. intentional. Uh, he's a great author and he's a great manipulator. Yeah. In terms of manipulating the reader. I think what you just told me, though, is that he's trying to annoy us <laughs> because you just said you're getting annoyed. And it is it is a little bit to second guess everything you read uh-huh. now with tacit approval to lie. And only his own conscience to stop him. Which and he I, doesn't which he doesn't really yeah. even say is a good conscience, like he says, he's not a great guy. But so, I don't think he would do that for nothing. Yeah, I think that we'll find intent. if this if this ever gets finished is that he's a game player. That's what I would think. He's embedded clues throughout these stories, and we've called things that I've said it myself. 
he spends all his time talking about a fort and he never talks about it again. He's, I think we'll find, especially as he's finished, and I we've already been able to identify some of them. Careful readers like you and Smurfalicious have probably identified tons more than I could ever dream of identifying. But he's put them there so that someday we're annoyed now, but we'll go back and go, oh, mm. oh, oh, oh. Yeah. I don't think he would do it purely with the intention of just annoying us or manipulating us. Yeah. Yeah, to to the point of like Foth's intent rather than Pat's intent. Foth's intent to lie about some of these things, uh, and this I think this is in the thread, this malicious thread that I'm referring to. Mm. Um, and uh, if you just look up White Mutiny, Kingkiller, you guys you can find it. Um, but uh, it says it it goes back to the Scarpy quote when when Foth asks him, "Is that you know that Scarpy, the guy that told him the story of Lana?" Yeah. And the, the fall of the seven cities, um, in the great uh, great war. Nope, creation war. Um, <clears throat> he uh, he asked him if it's true, and he's he's he said yes, but and I'm not quoting directly. Yes, but too many truths can comp- overcomplicate the story or confuse the story, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are. I think Foth very much believes that in the crafting of a story a lie can help get the message across and so is quoth's goal really i want to tell my story and have it be an accurate account or is quoth's goal that the person hearing the story ends up at a conclusion about various things we don't know yet that's a really good distinction that you've just made and the further and, wrinkle, and all the truths might complicate that. Totally. Sorry. I think the further wrinkle in that is Quoth's constant battle with himself and his own mm-hmm. pride of being like, He's knowing so in his mind, this is what really happened. Yeah. Oh, and I should tell that, but I also, you know, this is the story that's yeah. going to be recorded about me forever. Yeah. Oh, maybe I just say this yeah. you know so so we have really two types of lies pride driven white i'll call them white lies because maybe they don't matter that much except to us as readers but like you know yes i jumped it in a single bound instead of climbing down and climbing up the other side or something right like eh, he embellished it it's mm-hmm. annoying but it doesn't there was matter. fire everywhere right I versus it all. versus lies that are driving a narrative Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and it we'll, changed the story. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll come back. I think we'll come back to this in, in Debbie After Dark for sure. Mm. Uh and we can keep talking about it if you want, if you got more to say. Nope. It's I don't uh, think I do. It's less than a page and we talked about it for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh all right, shall we move on? Yeah. Let's pause for a second, Scad. Sure. Because we want to talk about our friends for a minute, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've been doing these uh, these little podcast spotlights, uh, podcasts that, uh, that friends of ours through the fandom have started. Sometimes they're about a song of ice and fire. Sometimes they are not. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done one per episode for the last several episodes. 
What do we got this week? This week we got Ragman's Harbor. Tell mm-hmm. us about Ragman's Harbor, Scad. Ragman's Harbor is uh, the harbor in uh, in Essos, where Arya Bravos, in Bravos in Essos. Mm-hmm. Yep, where Arya is running around selling fish products, cockles and, and cockles, and you know shrimpy shrimpies and various other marine life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is also a podcast uh, featuring two friends of ours, Gajani. Right? Mm-hmm. And low, and they cover real life historical and cultural parallels to Song of Ice and Fire from a non Anglo perspective. Non Anglo, Scad, that's interesting. And, that, and that's definitely not something I wrote. That's something you know we obtained and copied. That's lifted straight from their uh, <laughs> Twitter profile. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we wanted to get it right, Low and Genie. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's you know, I certainly don't have a a good sense for all of the voices out there covering these works. I know there are people in, you know, in in different languages and and stuff covering, covering them, but I feel like a lot of the big focus, you know, we get is from very Anglo voices, right? And it's, their perspective is fresh and, um, you know, something we need more of in all, in all areas of life, right? To get these, these perspectives, uh, you know, that aren't always, are always lifted up so i was really happy to see that they were embarking on this uh they're only a few episodes in i believe yeah we've got three episodes out from them right now um what i love about this too is i love seeing our friends come together through the fandom yeah like you and i knew each other before this fandom we did and we started podcasting lo and genie met each other through the fandom and just started talking and they started a podcast together. That's so, it's so cool. And it's a yeah. great podcast together. Yeah. Uh, I was checking out a little bit of it today. They were talking about um, how, you know, a lot of naming conventions in our world come from religious figures, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of Peters and Johns and Pauls and in yeah. lots of different languages and cultures throughout the world mm-hmm. uh, and not just I was mentioning Christianity and Abrahamic religions. Uh, There's many others. And they were talking about how they're trying to find some parallels for that in A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that you've got the faith of the seven, but they don't really have like specific names or like saints. The crone, the father. Yeah, the stranger, but not like Peter, James, John, Paul, you know, and they don't have like saints people that were not the gods or yeah. the seven that, but are still kind of placed on high sanctified. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they drew that kind of parallel and they were trying to find something there. And we, they, they came to the conclusion that there's actually not a lot uh, yeah. and how interesting that is. So, and yet also interesting that names like John and mm-hmm. Peter that, <laughs> that are, that wouldn't have, I mean, they may have, but they likely would not have survived without the religious influence in our, you know, in our world, they've survived without that religious influence in this, in this world that George has created. That's interesting too. 100%. Yeah. John Connington, Peter Baelish. (laughs) Where'd you get Peter from? (laughs) Where'd you get Peter from? He was the, he was something. It's a name. It means something. He was some Septon back then. He means Um, rock. 
So just approaching a song of ice and fire from a super interesting perspective, right? You and I off mic, we're talking today about like, we were like, what would we talk about with the song of ice and fire right now? You know, (laughs) we're burned out. Everybody (laughs) burned out on song of ice and fire. We need more content. And come on, George. And they are digging deep and finding some of this really interesting content to talk about. So check out Ragman's Harbor. Uh, Lo and Janie, like we said, are there our friends. And we've um, actually, you've heard their voices, not just us talking about them. You've heard their actual voices on Davos Fingers, right, Skad? That's correct. Yeah, Lo, uh, they joined us uh, on episode 118. They covered the uh, Feast for Crows prologue which is the old town chapter where mm-hmm. we get, where we get to uh, follow. Well, we get to the best part about that chapter is hilarious, right? The Sphinx. No question. Um, but uh, yeah, we get to, to see old town for the first time. I want to, it's probably my favorite city in the seven kingdoms, uh, but low rot, some really great gender perspectives to that episode. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. And then Virginie joined us for the Brienne chapter where, they go out into into the the uh, the forest of the uh, Cracklaw Point. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, nimble dick crab baby, nimble dick crab exactly. Uh, and it, that's a that's a great chapter. I remember I remember recovering that with her and just thinking like the way that the way this journey because it's a journey chapter right. They're traveling, you know, through this this forest and all these different terrains and mists and bogs and it's just the, the the sounds of the rain it's just so wonderfully written uh and we had a great time talking with Virginia about that chapter too that's uh, now i kind of want to go that's read aswath i know episode 110 it's episode 110 yep it's a weird thing aswath because i know i just said we're burned out but i feel like if i just every once in a while picked up one of the books and read a chapter i would love it but, but like no, idea. but like a no pressure read, right? Yes, right. Not if like I, trying like, to I gotta read the whole thing or again. analyze. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just I'd to be, read it. Yeah, but yeah. even even doing a reread is pretty daunting because it's so much. But it's a lot. Just if but, I just picked up a chapter and just read. No, I hear you. Just grab a book and just yeah. open it up, and we yeah. know the story well enough that we can pick yeah. it up anywhere and just yeah. bask in yeah. George's wonderful storytelling. No pressure. Yeah, that would even be when we were trying to highlight our friends, we got distracted and on a tangent. <laughs> Ragman's Sorry, Harbor, check them out. <laughs> you can find their podcast on Spotify. You can find it on Podbean. Probably wherever you get your podcasts, you can find Ragman's Harbor. Uh, I see a lot of them posting on Twitter. That's at at Ragman's Pod. They might be on other forms of social media as well. Um, you heard it here from first. There. Pod has moved to Bravos. Yep. Pod, pod can be found in Bravos. Pod Bravos. At Ragman's Pod. Yep. All right. Okay. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you for starting that podcast and bringing new original content to this fandom. We're always in need of it. Yep. We love you. Okay. The mating habits of the common Dracus. That's right. It's a dragon. Denna insists it's a Dracus, both counters, reassuring her that it's it's an herbivore that doesn't eat meat, like a big cow. After giggling through the fact that they are relatively safe, they watch the Dracus snuff around in their fire, and Quoth educates Denna on the Dracus, 
which he read about at the university. It eats whole trees with its flat teeth. It uses its fire in a mating display. And that one this size must weigh five tons at least. They also rarely reproduce and live to be very old, both guessing that this one, in fact, is probably 200 years old. Oof. The Dracus eats a bunch of now-extinguished logs from their fire, then settles down, smashing into the fire, and falls asleep as it puts out the fire. Nice and warm little nest. Taking its hint, Denna wraps herself in the cloak that Quoth loans to her and falls asleep while he keeps watch. And that's the end of this very brief chapter. Um, not as brief as the last one, though, but this one I have very few notes on. Yeah. Cool. A non-magical, <laughs> mythical creature. Seems harmless. Comes and walks around. I guess the maybe the main point we should infer now is that you know the mystery of the blue fire that they saw is probably solved. Right? They right. Were, they had seen the blue fire. Um, they, you know, they had uh put the sticks out, right, to to point them where the blue fire was, uh, to go investigate the next day. And they don't need to do that, maybe, because they know what the blue fire is. It was it's, just the Dracus huffing and puffing around. Yeah. This just piddling around. Non-magical giant cow. Uh-huh. <laughs> In the words of Lex from Jurassic Park, I like cows. <laughs> All I could think of was, what happened to the goat? <laughs> What's going happen to the goat? He left us. He left us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got some great lines. Oh, man. I think that's the part where they wake up in the tree and the brachiosaurs are there eating and she gets really scared. And, oh. and he if says, he it's like, us? he's just like a big cow. No, the cow. Oh, oh yeah, 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 says, yeah, 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 yeah. Think of it as like a big cow. And she goes, I, I like cows. Yeah. She's very nervous to reach out. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. all gung ho. And then he sne- the brachiosaur sneezes on her. Oh, yes. It's a great moment. That's probably, in terms of movies I've watched the most times, that's probably in the top three. Coming in right behind Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was big Uh, into dinosaurs as a kid, and that caught me just at the right time. I was like nine, ten years old. And when Jurassic Park came out, and I watched that movie all the time. I remember that came out. It came out with, and I don't remember the name of the sound, the new sound system, but it came out like as the movie they were introducing this new sound system. With. Yeah, with the T Rex. And uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. was I it THX? No, that was Lucas. Might have been. Might have been. Well, this Jurassic Park is Lucasfilm, isn't it? Oh, no, is it's it? Spielberg. Spielberg and Lucas are buddies, though. Yeah. They always collab. Oh, uh, yes. We're not experts. I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, you're a Jurassic Park expert, but. Regardless, <laughs> I remember they were introducing a new sound system with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being excited about that part. Anyways, why do you think, Scad, any thoughts on why they called this chapter what they did or why Rothfuss called this chapter what it did? I mean, honestly, it's obviously it goes back to the book that Devin wrote, yeah. but the mating habits of the common Dracus. Does I, that have something I, to do with maybe Quoth and Denna and their budding mm-hmm. little flirtatious relationship i didn't think about it that way it could i didn't Um, either until now they are you know a little flirty in this chapter you Mm -hmm. know at each other and stuff and she you know snuggles into him and he gets you know the butterflies about it um it could be 
I just figured it was we ended the last chapter, not the not the you know the, inner the interlude. Chapter, mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. chapter we ended with I fantasy it's a dragon, and now it's just like no no, let's make it science again. The mating habits of the common dracus make gotcha. it very scientific and, and straightforward. And yeah. Not, not fantasy but i didn't i didn't really put that much thought into it what yeah. you, so your is that that's your thoughts is the uh the budding romance i think maybe it's part of it sure but honestly i didn't put that much thought into it either but yeah this is my byu cup nice. Nakua. this is my winter's coming mug very nice i had some coffee i'm tired yeah i've got some uh Water with a the little energy stuff that you can squirt into it. Oh, Same reason. Me, Mio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Flip it, tip we it, sip paid it. By Mio, we I just got paid uh, twenty dollars. <laughs> I take these extra little advertisements on the side, and Matt doesn't know, and then we see if he catches me. He's just been dropping them in there. <laughs> well, I had my Carl's Junior one earlier. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ah, if it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. What? (laughs) That was one of their, I've got a whole story about a comedy troupe in college that, anyway, that was one of their slogans when I was in college. Nice. It doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. It doesn't belong in your face. They had another one that was, slipped my brain at the moment, but it was also very sex adjacent. On the nose, yeah, yeah, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Well, I remember the commercials. It was like busty gals in bikinis eating sometimes yes. eating it and it just like Very dripping much. down their chests and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They knew exactly what they were doing. <clears throat> Didn't All expect right. to get sexy content, did you guys? Uh do you have anything else for this chapter? No, let's go to the big one. It's big. It's a long summary. Sorry, guys. Quoth is awoken by Denna, who apparently just thought he had slept long enough. But the Dracus is gone, and they appear to be in no danger at all. But she woke him up, anyway. In his fatigued and injured state, Quoth had nodded off in the night without waiting for Denna to take her shift. They climbed down from the top of the stone archway to survey the demolition caused by the Dracus. The hilltop is barely recognizable, with rents scarred all across the top where it rolled and dragged its body, and places burned where it belched its blue fire. A truly dangerous creature, just of its size and weight. Quoth finds a Dracus scale and tells Denna that they eat stones to help digest their foods, like chickens do, and that the iron in the stones filters into their scales over time. Denna uses his Loden stone to go search for more iron-based Dracus scales in the fire, after Quoth tells her that they might be quite valuable to an alchemist. Then they talk about what's next. Quoth looks in the direction of the blue fire they had seen the previous night. Denna, thinking he is attributing the blue fire from the Mwathan farm to the Dracus, indicates that the farm fire couldn't have been the Dracus, because there was no destruction to the land like they saw on the hilltop. Both replies that he wasn't thinking that. He was thinking that perhaps her patron had started an actual fire last night out there, and that the Dracus had come to snuff it out as he did to their own fire. They decided to go have a look. The journey's long, though. They're achy and tired from the previous day, and the land is craggy and bluffy. When they finally make it to the smoke, it wasn't what they expected. Turns out to be a little encampment set against the bluffs. The earth was all furrowed and dug up, and trees were knocked down everywhere. As they surveyed the site, though, an overpowering smell hit them. Dead body smell, 
from underneath the ruins of a small timber cabin, and they see an arm sticking out of the wreckage. They theorize about who could have done this. Both wonders that the Chantrian could have killed the man and set the fire, and then the Dracus could come later to put it out and cause all the damage. Then it doesn't think it sounds like the Chantrian. Two attacks in a row, right in the same place? They usually, like, strike and disappear like ninjas. They also find an illegal crossbow, and Quoth wonders aloud why someone out here would need a weapon like this. Dennis suggests maybe his protection against the Dracus. Quoth is again unconvinced. Wild animals stay away from people in the wild. Then I wonders if maybe the Dracus is rabid. A terrifying thought. Denna wants to get out of there now with this supposition. Both convinced the Chandrian had nothing to do with this, and more so worried about the maybe rapid, maybe rabid giant lizard returning. Both desperately wants there to be a connection with the Chandrian, though. Could they be controlling the Dracus somehow? Denna convinces him. The man had been dead for two span, so the timing doesn't line up with the moth and farm attack. And the wood and metal here isn't corrupted like it was on the moth and farm either. Doesn't seem like the Chandrian. He's convinced reluctantly, and they're about to leave when the Dracus announces its presence with the of a snapping branch. Thinking it rabid and dangerous now, they rush to the bluffs, hoping it won't be able to climb after them. They actually find a crack in the cliff wide enough for them to slide through, but far too narrow for the Dracus to follow them. For there is a strong visual evidence that has been trying to fit through or make the crack bigger with claw rents on the side of the canyon. They slide down the path and find the ladder to climb just as the Dracus breathes its blue flame down the corridor. The ladder places them on a landing where they can look out below. The Dracus is clawing at the gap entrance of the bluff and blows fire down the inside at where they had been moments before. It's not after them, though. It had been trying to get into that gap well before their arrival. It moves sluggishly away from the bluff eventually and backs towards the trees, knocking one down casually and beginning to eat it. As they watch it eat, and Kvothsby's nonsense there is about how the Dracus might create fire, Den notices something about the trees below. They look to be planted in rows, not growing naturally like a forest would. And it looks like the Dracus is knocking over all sorts of trees, but he's only eating the maple ones. Well, they look like maple anyway. Both jokes that maybe it has a sweet tooth. <laughs> they head back down the ladder and continue through the crevasse past the ladder they've climbed to see if they can go through the back to see if find a safe way out. But it did not provide one. It did lead to an answer to the mystery of this place, though. Fire pits and large metal pans with the remnants of what Denna takes for a sticky candy remain behind. She tries some before Quoth realizes what is going on. They're making Denna resin here. He springs to action and tells Denna to spit it out immediately, smacking the piece out of her hand and telling her it's poison. He has her rinse her mouth out repeatedly with water, then commands her to eat coals. Eat coals. Does so himself to show that they aren't harmful. She'd been chewing on likely unrefined dinner resin, and Quoth had no idea how much she had ingested, but getting her out of her mouth quickly was important, and swallowing the coals would help to absorb some of the poison before it got into her system. Quoth hopes that the charcoal will absorb most of the poison, but the effects are already hitting Denna. She doesn't blanch when he presses firmly on a bruise, and she starts mumbling at Quoth, her verbal filters seemingly a bit relaxed, commenting on his eyes and how they change colors, how pretty his hair is. But she's afraid also, pressing Quoth, Am I going to die? He assures her that she will not. They gather anything valuable from the bluff, blankets, crossbow bolts, and after justifying that they will only sell it to an apothecary for savory uses, a melon-sized wad of Denna resin that could make them somewhat rich. Denna is really starting to feel the effects now. She feels wonderful. 
both tells her that she should fi- she should be fine as so long as there's no trouble breathing or any heaviness in her chest. Dennell wonders about addiction and then comments, no wonder our big scaly friend keeps coming back for more. Of course. The Drax had been eating dinner trees, was addicted and could smell the resin in this canyon. That's why it was trying to get through. But it was almost out of trees, and when it ran out, it might go into a crazy state until it could get its fix. It would know it found the trees near people. It would seek people out. Quoth knew that he was going to have to kill it. Denna laughed at the idea and then giggled uncontrollably, blaming it on the poison. Quoth tried to think about how he could kill it, searching for a crossbow amongst the dinner harvesting tools that he had found. Instead, he found another mass of resin four times bigger than the one they had put together before. They could now truly be rich. Before he could finalize his plan for killing it, the Dracus roared. End of chapter. It's a long one. Yeah, like, come on, Rothfuss. What are you doing here, bud? You give us like three or four pretty short chapters. (laughs) And then he slaps a big old fat one on us. Yeah, like, I don't know that he was thinking about future podcasters. Covering his content chapter by chapter. It was also a pretty dense, just kind of this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened chapter. Yes, it um, was. You're right. Not a lot of character stuff or, you know, deep diving into you know, the story and everything. But uh, but still, it was a it's a it's a fun chapter to read. I think of all these Dracus chapters as as a fun tale. You know, <laughs> if, if I were reading folks story that the Chronicle was, you know, writing. I think I would enjoy these chapters. The Dracus right? part was good. The yeah. Dracus part was decent. Yeah, Dracus part yeah. was interesting. More, yeah. more Dracus. <laughs> uh, it is kind of crazy how quickly Quoth decides the Dracus has to die. After we get yeah. this talk about how rare they are, there's not very many left in the world. He must be over 200 years old. Mm-hmm. Got to kill it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you know his his logic is he's he's seen people addicted to dinner resin, yes, how crazy yes. they get, and what behavior they'll uh, the, the preference he gives is there was a a girl who stripped down naked in the snow in Tarbine and danced for just a small sample of of dinner resin because she was so addicted. Mm-hmm. You know the the Dracus version of that uh, of stripping down naked and dancing in the snow. I think Quoth equates to you know, doing everything it possibly can to find these trees. And I don't know whether it's smart enough to make a connection like, oh, people equals dinner resin. Um, but he, yeah, he thinks that it's going to go, it's going to go accidentally kill a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But he, yeah, he does, he does arrive there pretty quickly. Fascinating. Yeah, a lot of books kind of revere the sanctity of life, especially when it's something so uncommon. And Quoth gets there pretty quick, like you said. And now he's hyper-focused on this Dracus. Chandra and what? Dracus. Yeah. Yeah, he's... um, Yeah, is it his... I guess guess a different way to, uh, to ask what you're saying is like, is this their responsibility? Yeah. It's not what he's here for. Mm-hmm. Right? It's ain't your job. Like, yeah. Which, you know, leads to the 
storytelling heroic epic that both is telling i guess right like could he is this something he could be lying about uh-huh right to to further his you know his legend right yeah right like why would he have to go do this see i mean he's got a good heart i guess these people mean nothing to him really if they I mean, want to figure it out yeah he even talks about it like we could go into town, either he or Dennis says, I can't remember who. We could go into town and tell him to rustle up a bunch of men and say, hey, there's a, yeah. you know, methed up Dracus out in the woods. <laughs> yeah, Dennis says that. Yeah. And yeah, she's she's not wrong. I mean, she yeah, she's, I'm speaking her thoughts there, I suppose, right? Like, why is this our problem? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know I, th- I think Quoth doesn't believe they'd succeed. Um, sure. For yeah. all his faults, he does. I think he does, even though he's bad talking them left and right. I wouldn't trust their doctor. I, you know, they're backwoodsy, superstitious folk that don't know anything. You know, all this stuff. He's, you know, bad mouthing them. But both does, I think, have a good heart in the sense that he doesn't want bad things to happen to innocent people. I believe, yeah, 100% and, agree. You know, at this point, it might change a little bit in the next chapter, but at this point, I don't think he's convinced yet that this is an impossible task. Mm-hmm. Right. So he thinks we're <clears throat> the ones that know we got to do something about yeah. it. Yeah. Looking for a hero. I guess that makes me a hero. Yeah. Yeah. That's Nas for all you non hip hop listeners. Right. Yep. Of which I am one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis has a lot of thoughts about the champion. Because again, like you said earlier, maybe both putting her out in the lead here for some reason. But she comes to the conclusion, you know, that the, this is not the Chandrian quicker than he does. Sure. The wood, the wood isn't rotting. Be. The metal it isn't rusting. Be. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. Like she Great comes points. to this conclusion pretty quick. Great points. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the wood is a brilliant way because that was so impactful for Quoth when he realized yep. the the wood and the rusting and the rust. um, yep. metal. Yeah, that was super impactful for him. And she went immediately to that, knocking on the wood, clanging the crossbow on things probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, watch, yes. bang, 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 yes. bang, not breaking. <laughs> yes. In her Desert, dinner resin state. <laughs> Actually, I guess she wasn't there yet. Not quite, yeah. Uh, But even Quoth's like, you know, speaking of the goodness of his heart, he's like, we should bury this body. She's like, no, we shouldn't. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, Denna feels very much like she's got uh, just her own safety on her mind. At 100%, self-preservation. Yeah. Yep. Which is, you know, I think she's very good at. Um, She's had to be. She's had to be, yes. Uh, yeah. Some some little double entendre sexy flirting is back in this chapter. We have uh, always the stiffest when you wake up. Wake up. To which she replies, women don't, as a rule, have that problem. Yep. Clever. That's what she said. He asks her, have you ever seen one of these? And she replies, how many times have I heard that one? There you go. Those were the ones I was talking about. <laughs> it's funny because He's like uh, usually that type of talk is reserved for the pals, right? 
That's a Will and Sim stuff. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I it it feels uh you don't know whether Den is just making fun of how unwilling to approach her with this stuff he is. Right. But like she feels like she can just throw it right back at him and he won't do a thing. Mm-hmm. And almost like she's mocking him. Um or whether she's just really almost earnestly like, what's it going to take? How like, many times I'm going to put bro. sex in this guy's mind for him mm-hmm. to make a move? Could be either. Or is she I, just, I or is her personality just coming out as she gets yeah. more comfortable around Quoth and she's kind of a little, little naughty like you and me? Yeah. Just like you and me. That's what she said right and left. Like most of us. Let's be honest. It's, yeah, it's for in sure. The back, back there for most of us. Uh, you know, we, we, you and I, I think both were convinced in some of the earlier talking and walking chapters, you know, that, that she's really into him, that she's giving him all sorts of signs. And do you, do you still feel that way in these chapters? Yeah, I do. Yeah. There's a little bit more at stake in these chapters, right? And so they can't be as, um, Lost in he's each not, other. Lost in each other and him and his thoughts too, right? About um, you know, how he's feeling and the flow of her shoulder and you know, the hair on her shoulder and all the you know, all the things he usually notices. He's got other things on his mind that he has to focus on. But it still feels like they're take like Rothfuss is taking time to note things, or Quoth is taking time in the telling the stories to note things mm-hmm. that are keeping them kind of connected in that way. Yeah. And the impression I'm getting from Denna is even if she likes a guy, she's not going to be the one that throws herself at him. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, it's that. And also um, I think she's somewhat legitimately scared of this changing because this is the safest relationship she's, she's ever had. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With a man. I saw, um, I saw six this past weekend, which is oh uh, yeah. What night did you, know, you see it? Sunday night. Oh, okay. Um, um, my daughter Leia saw it on it was Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, those in the Ice and Fire Con community know that uh, some brilliant minds, uh, Hannah and Dominic, and several others. Uh, created a musical called Queens based on the sixth musical with just it's fantastic it's amazing um, so that was in my mind all the time while watching it I of course know the soundtrack to six because I like you know I love musicals anyway but um, a great show one of the things that really stands out in that show um, it, it's a show about the wives of Henry VIII right with six mm-hmm. wives two of them decapitated two of them divorced um, one of them just died and one of them lived on past his death. Uh, anyway, um, one of the things about the soundtrack that you don't get, you don't get it in the soundtrack that you get to see on stage is the way they act through some of these songs. And one of them is just about a woman that has been just used by the men in her life that mm-hmm. had power over her her whole life every single time she thought she was making real meaningful connections with these men 
that would that valued her as a person and would be friends and would you know help take care of her and protect her and be good to her and they were using her at every step of the way for sex essentially mm-hmm. and the way she takes that journey from being a young girl the first experience she's talking about and she talks about each one kind of in order toward the end where she's just exhausted and beaten down by this component uh, of her life that's really ruined her life yeah um it reminds me a little bit of denna in the fact that like she's found that man maybe she think maybe she's barely daring to hope that cloth could be a man like that that can just care about her and look after her and not be in it for all the stuff that the other guys are in it for uh like this character in six that is always wanting and so she might be always dancing on that line of flirting with him and making it more, but also really not wanting to take the chance of what would change and how it would change. Um, 100%. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, I got a song. Whoa. Old song I wrote a long time Ooh. ago. You've heard it. Yes. Um, it's about that very thing. I like to tell stories in my songs. I've got a song mm-hmm, called "The Ballad do. of Jasper and Alley," and oh, yes. it's it's about that, that very thing. And yep. uh, there's a line in in that little song where I say, "But saying things will change things, and things are so good right now." You know? Yeah, hmm. we fear change. It's Wayne's World, third time, <laughs> fourth maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> ring, ring, ring. <laughs> So odd. So odd. That was the that was the first one of like the new tunes that I'd written. Is that the one where you talk a lot about the 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 street in yeah Provo Freedom Boulevard? Yeah, Freedom's dark, but it's quiet. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of Denikvoth stuff in there, actually. Now that I think about it, it was before I ever read these books. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's a very personal song for you, I know, but repurpose it. You have a, a king killer hit on your hands. <laughs> I know it's very personal to you. I wouldn't really suggest you do that. Uh, uh, good times. Um, she. Oh, go ahead. Please. Mine's kind of mine's kind of a, an ending of the chapter thing. Okay. So you can go first if you want. Uh, mine's towards the end as well. This whole selling the resin idea, mm-hmm. exploring the ethics of that, mm-hmm. especially considering Kvothe's history and what he's seen with the resin. It's worrisome to me. Have they well, ever it... watched Breaking Bad? Have they seen what happens <laughs> when you get into you're, this kind of business? <laughs> you're you're worried about the ethics of the apothecary they're going to sell it to? I mean, they say very clearly they're not going to sell it to the bad people. They're going to sell it to it's what they the say. People that make medicine for doctors. It's what they say. I'm a little pessimistic about that. Once you get it out there, I mean, mm-hmm. and you see the type of money that you can make. The apothecary is like the apothecary is like great. I'll take. I can. I can only afford to take half of this. I run this little apothecary shop. I don't have money to buy all of this. I can. I can take. A quarter. Mm-hmm. And then they got like all this left. Like, well, 
I guess we got to sell it to the unsavory types now. And the dealers will give you three times yeah. as much and they'll take it off your hands right there. It's an easy transaction out the door. I, I, I don't know whether I believe both. I at least believe Denna. She seems honest when she says she's seen it. And, and part of that is because I've seen some things in, in the next book about her, but I don't get into details and spoil it. But I believe her when she says she's seen what this does to girls and she's not okay with absolutely mm-hmm. so i believe her if quoth needed tuition money do i think he might i think he might yeah he says i saw the evaporating pans in a different light now each of them was the equivalent like you're saying of a heavy coin in my pocket next terms tuition next close freedom from my debt with debbie and yep. you know Denna's in obviously her mind's a little altered right now because of the drug but she's talking about the stuff that she could buy with it. I get a pony. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you a proper loot or, and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A liar. We'll get you the leer this liar. time. Um, the, what is it that Shem says about money? Uh, best way to cloud a, a fool's ear, a rich man's ears. It's, uh, nope. Yeah. Got it. Something like that. Just uh, money. Nothing plugs a man's ears like money. Yeah. And it's like all the right reasons are there for selling this stuff. But if we're doing bad things for the right reasons, there's still bad things. You know, I just worry about that. I, yeah. I mean, I think it's only okay if they really only sell it to alchemists. Right. You know, with the Better Business Bureau A plus rating, you know, that, that say they're really just going to make, make helpful aspirin out of it. Right. Uh, if they do anything else with it, it's not okay. The question becomes whether you believe them or not. Mm-hmm. And, I believe Denna. I'm not sure whether I believe Cliff. If push came to shove, I don't know what he'd do. I, I feel like he, again, I think he has a good heart, but I think he is also very pragmatic sometimes in the way he makes his choices. Mm-hmm. It feels very Walter Whitey to me. Like, yeah. I just need to make some money. So I'm just yeah. going to do this one time. And right. Famous last words. But you, you, comp- you, you, you contrast that with this Dracus is going to hurt people. I've got to kill it. And it's like, well, he, you know, I don't think he wants people to get hurt. I think he knows what Denerism does. Sure. But maybe I want to believe in the kid. I and it's, yeah. And it's what do you want more <laughs> to get yeah. out of that? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Walter White didn't want to meth people up either, but yeah. Money talks, baby. I don't know. I was just thinking about that. But I, it does come it down to what you're saying. Is it he going to really about money with Walter White, though, right? I mean, I know you know that series better than I do. Well, that's what it was that's... at first. It was at first. Yeah, exactly. But, that becomes yeah. a false flag, though, doesn't it? Yeah. And Quoth is exactly the type of person to fall for that, right? Mm. Every time it's like, I'm going to do it for the right reason. You know, I got to set my family up because I'm going to die of cancer. So I need to make sure that they're set when I go. That was Walter White's beginning reason. Yep. And then it turned out I'm the one who knocks, right? It's he couldn't stop and he destroyed everything. But but it became not even about money, right? It became about other things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think with Quoth, it would just be like, well, I already did it once for money. I can do it again for money. Right. I 
I needed tuition badly. I needed to pay my debt with Debbie or I was going to get, she was going to use my blood. Like I had mm-hmm. to. And mm-hmm. then it's like, well, uh, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to have to take another loan out to Debbie to pay tuition. I'll just do it now and pay the tuition. And then it becomes like, ah, oh, I need new shoes. And yeah, that slippery slope becomes like, ah, yep. I'd like to buy a nicer dinner tonight. Let's go sell some dinner resin. Maybe. And the I whole, I, yeah, the right I, reasons work. I think, I and think people a little higher of him now at this stage of his life than you do. I don't think <laughs> he'd do it unless all the chips were down. But you're right that that's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope, is what I'm saying. But I also understand that it's right there in front of you. And yeah. I know how I would be thinking if I saw all that money right in front of me. So I think I'd be thinking like you would. There's a perfectly legitimate way to get rid of this that will make us money. Less money, but money. Mm-hmm. And we can do that. And I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he comes up with some reason to do it a different way remains to be seen. Right. And actually what we're going to realize, uh, you know, in a few minutes <laughs> is that they're, they're not going to have it anyway. Not all of it anyways. Yeah. All right. Should we jump to that? Uh, I do have just the one, one, oh, yeah. one thing at the Close end. Close us here. out. Mm-hmm. There's more interesting things to do than hunt. But then she's interrupted. Yeah. By, by the, I believe it's by the roar of the Dracus. By the Dracus roaring. Yep. Um, what do you think that means? I don't know. I, she I don't know. To... It's just another one of those silly little sexy things. Um, you can kiss me if you want to. Yeah. I don't know. Cause you know what, dude? That little that little fort thing at the top of the ladder, that sounds super cool. Like yeah, the little eight, the little lookout. Eight year old me would have like I would have spent all my time up there. Yeah. That's super cool. It's true. It's true. Probably a great makeout spot too. So no, but I did I did take note of that as well. I don't I don't know what she's saying, but no. it feels like it's more interesting things to do than hunt. Mm-hmm. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. Mm-hmm. Like what? All right. Let's finish this block of chapters out. Yep. Poisson. Poisson. As Quoth and Denna returned to the safety of the lookout, they observed the Dracus playing? Skvoth describes it cavorting, bounding around like a drunken dog, knocking over trees like a boy would topple cornstalks in a field. As it did so, Quoth and Denna were struck by the perceived futility of trying to do any harm to such a massive, powerful creature. How could they ever hope to kill something that treats mature trees as if they were twigs? Denna suggested luring it off a cliff. But would that even prove fatal to such a creature? Besides both reasons, it's not very heroic. He couldn't think of a way to use sympathy or other magic to dispatch the creature. But what about poison? Mm. They could use some of that extra resin they found, uh, by which they don't explicitly say it, but I'm inferring that they want to just OD the Dracus. Yeah. Pump them full of it. It's a little unclear, but the rest of Quoth's well, plan is. Go ahead. Sorry. The rest of the plan is pretty lucid. They'll return to the Greystone Hill where they camped the night before. 
build a fire to lure the Dracus in. And if they can kill it by that evening, they could be back in Trebon by nightfall, where he could potentially have access to medicine just in case Denna did end up eating too much of the resin. I don't gamble, he says, with the lives of the people that I care for. That's the end of the chapter. But you kind of do sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Everything's a gamble. Just how steep the odds are. Yeah, I think the plan The plan is, um, you know, we just heard him say to Denna, you know, as long as, you know, you don't get tightness in your chest, right? Or what's the other thing? Tightness in your chest or something else. Difficulty breathing. Something trouble like that, trouble yeah. breathing. Yeah. <clears throat> and she's like, I have trouble breathing anyway. Um, I have as asthma. long as those. So I think what he's implying is that, yeah, if you take too much of it, that's what does happen. Yeah. Right. So he thinks that they'll they'll make the thing arrest or yeah, have trouble. His chest will tighten up and it can't breathe or something. Uh-huh. Crappy way to go. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate. It's bad. It's too bad. But it feels greater good. I'm well, I mean, he's jumping to some conclusions, right? You're choosing to kill this mythical magical rare creature rare creature because you think it's going to go on a murderous rampage mm-hmm. is yes, that a little I minority mean, reporty like <laughs> crime yeah, hasn't been bit. committed yet i haven't done anything yet says mm-hmm. the dracus uh yeah you know i think we're taught to most of us are taught to value human life over other animal life uh it's a hard thing to argue against i suppose we we consider ourselves to be better, right? Uh, or more valuable than, than other animals, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's some that would disagree. Yeah, there, yeah, <laughs> for sure there are. And I, w- I wouldn't fight them on it even. I'd be like, yeah, humans suck. We're pretty terrible yeah. um, in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's his, his rationale is like, if there's a chance this is happening and I think it will, we got to do it. Right? Yeah. Yep. We got to get ahead of this thing. Yeah. A lot of ethics going on in this, in this mm-hmm. uh, these last couple chapters. More than I thought there would be. Yeah. Right. I kind of was looking at these chapters. I'm like, what are we going to talk about? I like the chapters, but there's not a lot of like, right. you know, character meat to them. But you're right. There is some, there is some ethics. Because there is that question of like, if they don't do anything and the Dracus does go and kill everybody. Yeah. Why didn't you say anything? Like, you'd, yeah, you'd live with that your whole life. Probably, mm-hmm. Right. Yep. We had a chance. You can okay. ostrich syndrome it, right? And just walk the other direction and hope you never hear about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's not it's not great. Mm-hmm. Uh what do you think of Denna's plan? Walk it off the ledge? Yeah. It just feels so bad for that poor bulbasaur dracus. Walking along. What? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't really understand what they meant by like put the fire over the ledge with a rope, but you know, use a pan, but they need a rope to do it. Like, yeah, I think that like maybe hanging okay. it out over the ledge and maybe the Dracus would be like drawn to the fire to where he wouldn't even notice that there's no ground under him anymore. Maybe they do it at night. And so like, it's just so fixated on the fire that it like walks, 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 walks. Oh, and then all of a sudden it's out. 
it doesn't realize there's no it's ground over the ledge. Yeah, because like it's so fixated on the fire. Totally, and he yeah. suspends there and goes. So you're oh. saying like there's a tree like overhanging the cliff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they climb out to a branch out here, and they drop hang the, the fire. The That's kind of so how I imagined it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's kind of funny, man, because yeah. like I was going to make a comment in the last chapter that Rothfuss was so uh, efficient with his descriptions of mm-hmm. everywhere they were going. Um, yeah. From the, the valley area to the crevasse to the little opening where the drug making was happening. Uh-huh. Like I could picture it beautifully mm-hmm. in my mind. I had no problem picturing the yeah. lookout. I could picture it all. Like yeah. he described it so well. Yeah. Then this chapter, it's like, so are they going to make him OD? Like how, where are they hanging <laughs> yeah. this fire thing from? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's tell it's me one more time, Patrick, can you explain, you know, like you're going to tell a five-year-old, tell me what's going to happen. here. <laughs> yeah. I felt like Tolkien was like obsessed, like compulsively obsessed with describing the environment and the mm. foliage and the you know mm-hmm. everything around them. I don't get that feeling usually with Patrick. It feels like mm-hmm. he has almost like both. He has like things that he gets focused on. He's like, I'm going to describe the shit out of this. You're going to know every <laughs> single fucking detail. And the About other this thing is freaking like, eh, yeah. nah, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really get the plan uh, in this chapter uh, for the, for the fire, but. You know, also maybe he just looked at it and he's like, well, they're not going to do it. So I don't need to describe it that much. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe they're trying to pass along that these aren't good plans. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are relying on the Dracus to be pretty stupid to walk off a cliff to chase this fire. Uh, our sweet little toothless. Yeah. Usually uh, I don't err on the side of drag of animals. You know, mm. I've told you before, I'm not a pet guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm just I, sorry, guys. I'm not into them. Cats, How's dogs. Fish doing though. Fish is alive. Thriving. It's thriving. It's doing quite yeah. well. It's doing quite well. Living its best life. Yeah, we actually cleaned out his little tank uh, last night. So. All right. Yep. He's doing well. Chewie's doing a good job taking care of him. We got to give him a little Star Wars name. Is he R two? What is he? Oh yeah, what would he be? So he's red and blue. What's red and blue in the Star Wars universe? Red and blue. Um, we'll come back to it. Yeah, we'll have to think about that. <laughs> red and blue lightsabers. Uh, it's a good uh, test for the Kalasar. Who's listening to this portion of the episode? Come up with a name for Matt's fish. For the fish, maybe we'll call him like Wicket or something like that. That'd be kind of cute, right? Like the Ewok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that'd be kind of cute. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> But yeah, I, I feel really bad for this Dracus guy. Like, I don't want him to die. He's just he out living his best, best life. Yeah. Just like completely yeah. coked up. Just <laughs> running around and jumping on things, as Dennis says. <laughs> just having a great time. <laughs> and now two complete strangers yeah. are like, we're yeah. going to fucking off Little you, did dude. he know the Morgan and Freeman voice, right? Uh-huh. Little did he know. He's just living his best life. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. It was not his best life. This was the last time he would smash his head into an oak tree. <laughs> Two cold-blooded killers have come on the scene. Just ready to it sounds more him. like an unsolved mysteries voice, not a Morgan Freeman voice, I guess. Yeah. Oh, Emerging man. from the shadows. Yeah. I just feel awful for this poor guy. 
Uh, but I also feel awful for when he runs out of his, his sweet, sweet resin. I also feel like both probably could have come up with some magic way to kill it. I appreciate that Rothfuss walks us through a couple of mental exercises that he goes yeah. through, but mm-hmm. he didn't spend very long thinking about it. Yeah, and you're right. Like, I don't know, something like he's got two scales and he like bind them, you know, to the scales on the tracks, like rip them apart or like, Oh geez. I don't know. That'd be heroic. It's like be, well, it'd be, It'd be pretty malicious and terrible. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know. Poisoning, it's maybe, I guess, more humane. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He brings in some science. I love it when, when Patrick brings in the science. The square cube law essentially is something gets bigger in size by a multiplier, like twice as big. His volume gets bigger by that multiplier cubed. So, like eight Whoa. times as big. Whoa. Right. Whoa. And since F equals MA, as we all know from high school physics, force equals mass times acceleration. And since mass is directly proportionate, right, to the volume, it means that it being so big will result in more force if it falls off the cliff. Easy. Yeah. I still yeah. doubt it's getting through those scales. Though. Right. <laughs> Maybe. It's going to bounce. Just a bouncing Dracus. I hope, it was, I hope somebody I hope somebody followed along with that uh, that science and pokes a hole in the right. That would make one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um I do like it when he's like talking about all the different theories for what the Dracus makes fire and everything, and Dennis just like completely not <laughs> listening to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I tried to note that in my summary for that chapter. It's just did. like it's just like as he's going on about nonsense, which he does not She's care like, about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's another thing with that, that the hyper focus is sometimes you miss out on the social cues. Actually, he caught him, but he didn't care. Like he knew that she wasn't interested and he just kept going anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Some people, myself included, we love to hear ourselves talk. Yep. Yep. I've had those moments (laughs) with people where I'm like, you really don't care, do you? And they always are like, no, no, you can keep talking. We're like, no, I'm done. This is fine. But, but again, the back to the, like the lying thing that we talked about before, and like maybe he's just lying to build himself up. He makes himself look like an idiot sometimes, like this, like oh, I was going on and on like Correct. a blithering idiot. Yep, you're he right. He's left that out and been like, Denna mm-hmm. noticed that the trees were planted yep. in rows. And that's why I wonder yeah, if it's like, like a battle with himself. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, sometimes like he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to soldier ahead. And other times he's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Let me a little dose of humility. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, you know, like back to the, you know, Bast's role and the theme of, you know, that we, we've kind of been wrestling with for some of this time of, you know, Quoth's identity as older Quoth, right, in the end, as Coat, and remembering who he is, and Bast seeming like he's kind of on this journey to try to get him to remember who he is. You know, like maybe, like you said, there very much is a war inside of him. Is like, I'm a badass. I suck. I suck. And like, like it just kind of maybe like we don't know really the state of his brain and how it got to this fractured. Maybe he's got the two Alars in there and they're like one shuts down and the other one takes over. Right. And he's almost like split personality. Oh, maybe it is more like that. Yeah. But like almost schizophrenic. Maybe that they take over in different parts of the story and he's, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Because I'm like, yeah. what you're describing just there is like, is that's me. Like, sometimes yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm awesome, man. And then I totally suck. 
And absolutely, it can it, it can fluctuate by the hour sometimes. It's probably a lot of us. I feel like I am entirely too arrogant for what I am, right? <laughs> and who I am, like I'm entirely Whatever. too arrogant. <laughs> Whatever. But also, but but also, I, I'm really hard on myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I think that's probably most of us. But, uh, but but I I think the fact that he's consciously doing it, or is he? while telling a story is interesting, mm-hmm. right? 100%. Yep. Anyway. Anyway. Got any more for Poison? Bro, I'm done. Nothing but a good time. <laughs> That's it. When he, ping, <laughs> when he pings her ear, I laugh every time at that. Oh, to see if it'll hurt her. He pings her ear. She's like, ow. Ow. Oh. Wait. Oh. Uh, that didn't hurt at all. Didn't hurt at all. Yep. Uh all right. Yeah, I'm I'm good. We want to move on. Debbie after dark time. Let's go to Debbie after dark, man. Because it is well after dark. We got a late one tonight. Dude, it is so after dark. We spent way too much time talking about uh a song of madness before we That's true. record on this. That's true, but it was worthwhile. And I regret nothing. Something? Yeah. You guys are going to hate A Song of Madness so much. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we are now moving to the spoiler-laden portion of the podcast where we will talk about anything and everything from Name of the Wind, from Book Two, A Wise Man's Fear, all of that. If you do not want to be spoiled, if you do not want to hear spoilery chit chat and speculation or whatever theories, turn it off now. Go away. Just like Denna wanted to run away from the Dracus, run away now. We are the Dracus now. Run away from us. We'll catch you next episode. Love you. Devi after dark. A rabid Dracus. Yeah. Coked up Dracus. <laughs> I can't wait to the next episode where they talk. They talk about how they come up with the equation for how much to give it. You're gonna love it. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, I do want to talk about the Barrow Hill Fort because it it moves into the Greystones a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I would love to hear enlighten me man because i was just like you spent two and now you're just moving on from it you spent all these pages talking about what it is and barrows and everything and now we're just going on to something else like yeah i don't i didn't i didn't research this really at all i just kind of thought about the story of the seven cities and the fact that none of those cities are standing except you know maybe one Mm -hmm. now um and and the fact that if they aren't you know, however long ago it was, a thousand years, I think they say, creation was a thousand years ago. But it's, you know, those civilizations went under, right? And there probably are, you know, relics or evidence of those cities existing. Yeah. I'm a little surprised there aren't, you know, what it looks like is essentially a forest or a this whole bluff area has kind of grown around it. Um not certainly the bluffs didn't grow their mountains, but um, 
you know, this area maybe used to be one of those seven cities populated like this was a fort or an encampment near the city, right? As a as an you know outreach to watch for for danger or something like that. But it's it's a sign of civilization of where one of these big cities might have been. Yeah. And and I wouldn't necessarily have said that other than the fact that um you know this fort um it, it also is near this hill with the graystones on it. And what we hear about graystones, waystones, as they're called, um, you know, is that they're they're usually on roads, right? Like, the, or at least that's what we hear from from both and from a true perspective. True. They're on roads and they help mark paths and mm-hmm. old roads and safe roads and things like that. And they're a sign for travelers of, of safety and security, at least you know from the new perspective. These graystones, these waystones, are in the middle of GD nowhere. Big I mean, tall hill. Big tall hill, nothing else around. Mm-hmm. Right. There's this fort hill is, you know, a few miles away. Um maybe there was a civilization or a road toward toward a civilization in this area. You don't usually build roads to go like over the highest mountain in the area, right? Like you right, go, yeah. like through and around them, kind of. So it's still a little weird. Um, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Graystones coming up, but um, it just makes me. It, there are two pieces of evidence of a much bigger civilization being in this area. That's that's all it really means to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that maybe one of the cities was here. I think that's yeah. And then the the gray stones or the waystones were meant to maybe not be a marker along the path, but maybe guide or point towards something. Like mm. I thought of how Quoth set up the two sticks to kind of yeah. mark where they were supposed to see and look. Mm-hmm. What if that hinge, that waystone hinge, mm-hmm. was meant to guide the eye somewhere or mm. point in a certain direction, right? Hold the staff at this angle at a certain time of day, and it will and the point. The sun to will the... come through, yeah. and yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. You got some Indiana Jones going. So we got oh a lot my. of references today. Oh, belongs in a museum. Remember, we used to like call out our references on like a web page and stuff. Like, oh yeah, totally. We used to have energy. Yeah. Lost energy for its complete just lack of energy before, at this point. Before our kids just drained us of our life force. <laughs> Uh, oh, dude, I got full fledged teenagers now, and it is. <laughs> Luke just got his uh, first part time, like official tax paying job, like outside of the snow cones. Yeah, and oh. lawn mowing, like and lawn mowing. That's right. Yeah, he does uh, after school sweeping at his junior high. Like it's wow. an official job. Yeah. Wow. Homeboy crazy. wanted to work and. He's got it, dude. Scad, yeah. they'll be in. They're going to the high school next year. Jeez. High school. That's nuts. Yeah, Mary's going to junior high next year, and uh, he's same, he's man. gonna he's gonna he's gonna be like Luke. You're Luke. Yeah, uh, he's gonna be. Yeah, I mean, he's he wants to work as soon as possible. It's very practical in that. Do I get yeah. a job at the Come and Go? No, you can't get a job at the Come and Go. <laughs> Worst name for an establishment ever, by the way. But also, they're renaming them all. They are. Yeah. No, I didn't. 
they even, Maverick bought them all out. They even bought the ones out like in the Midwest where it started. Yeah. You know, over the next couple of years, they're going to change them all. Are they just going to be Mavericks? I think so. Hmm. I'm not like on the board or anything, but I think so. Yeah, uh, how'd the last meeting go with the CEO? <laughs> all I can tell you is I vote to continue the sausage egg burritos, breakfast burritos. Mm. You gotta always keep those around. That's my only spot on the board is to make sure that happens. What about the cheese infused hot dogs? You know, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I eat those. I can do one. They're pretty dang good. <laughs> Our good friend Katrina. Oh man, we don't think Katrina what she's doing today. She posted on Facebook or on uh, Twitter one time that the thing that kills her will absolutely be gas station food. <laughs> Something I'm like, I'm like relatable content. Word, word. I eat Maverick regularly. Oh, I miss her on Twitter. I wish she was back yeah. on. She was for a time under a different name. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, anyway, moving on. Moving on. You've got, you've got some interesting Denna thoughts, man, that I think might be the main yeah. event of this Debbie After Dark. Yeah. Do you want to finish out on Greystones first? Oh, yeah, you bet. <laughs> uh I mean you you said I think your note was what the hell with the graystones. Do you do you have thoughts that you want to lend? Nope. Or do you just want my opinion? Uh I I there's evidence in future books that That was that, actually your note, dude. <laughs> what the hell with the graystones? Yeah. No, wasn't mine. It was, you got a note like that. Uh well, yeah, you you sub-bulleted my bullet which was the graystone arch. Anything to it? Oh, okay. I was like Sorry. asking you, literally. I attributed a swear word to you, and I shouldn't have done that. I should have known you would have never done that. Uh, okay. So, so there's evidence in the, in the next book that they are potentially pathways between the Fey Realm and mm, and, mm-hmm. and the Nap, the world they've come around to realm. Uh, I may have mentioned that on a previous episode at some point. Uh, Maybe. I believe he comes back through from the Fey realm with when he visits Lillian, uh who's a goddess of beauty and sex. Uh I believe he comes through a graystone to get back to the back to the real world. But how that all works and when they're open and all that stuff is a point of a lot of conjecture. And there's tons of ideas floating around out there about how the waystones work and how you can get between Fey Realm and the natural realm and what are the waystones made of and Mm -hmm. are they pieces of the moon people think i mean there's all sorts of stuff but there's one theory i ran across on reddit that i really liked or one explanation at least it was by a guy named calvin and hobbs 144 uh and he says i like this theory i've always visualized the fey realm like a trampoline overlaying the four corners of the the, the realm of tamarant and tethered there with the waystones like springs connecting the fabric of the trampoline to the frame every time the moon waxes and wanes it's like someone jumping stretching the fey away from the mortal realm so they're not close making the stone paths impassable but then of course when the moon waxes or the opposite right comes back together the realms are close and you can travel between them which i think is a, an interesting visual way to think about it uh, mm. when as the moon moves that trampoline goes up and down and the realms become closer or further away from each other more accessible to each other. There's also all sorts of stuff about how time 
acts differently between them, but it's not really that important for the Greystone conversation. So Whoa. the Greystones being kind of like that link with a trampoline, if you want to think about it that way. Right. The, you know, kind of similar to the idea of like, uh, remember in, in Asloth, they talk about like the anchors of the world. Yeah. Hinge, hinges of hinges the world. Of the world. Yep. Right. Like mm-hmm. these really old things. Yeah. The high tower, kind of maybe. Like uh-huh. The high tower, maybe. And there's the five forts and there's mm-hmm. and all these the different things. Mm-hmm. Right. The wall. Uh, there's all these kind of ancient objects that are kind of like tethers or something, right? That kind of keep the world grounded. Um, anyway, uh, kind of something like that. Denna. Want to talk about Denna? Let's go there, dude. So, I don't have anything concrete. Just the theme, I think. But I'm I'm becoming more and more convinced that Denna is in league with, and, and part of this is because I I did just finish rereading A Wise Man's Fear for the third time, and so getting mm-hmm. some more information from that later book, you know, that I didn't have as clear memories on earlier when we were doing this podcast. I did. I've read I read like 800 pages of that book in the last month and a half. So um I'm getting more and more convinced that Denna is working with the Chandrian or a Chandrian herself. Um mm. there's one uh a woman pale as snow, silent come and silent go. Um there's also uh there's one that they mention in a wise man's fear. If I can find it. Um that's wild, man. Yes. There's there's one in uh in a wise man's fear that's called Ferul, uh sounds a lot like Ferulian, chill mm-hmm. and dark of eye, and both is constantly commenting about Denna's dark eyes. Um there are theories that Denna maybe is an extension of Ferulian, this goddess of sex as well. Um, so maybe maybe Denna is in fact that female that female Chandrian, and maybe doesn't know it. Um, maybe she's got mm. some memory things, or um, you know something going on. She's not always completely aware, but that she's kind of maybe feeding information to Cloth about the Chandrian to some end. There's also. I don't know how far to go with this, but there's there are people in in this fandom for sure that that aren't convinced that the Amor were good were a force for good at all, and that maybe actually the Chandrin have Chandrian have been slighted. That Haliax maybe isn't the bad guy. Whoa, um, yeah, um, and I don't know how you know I don't know that I believe that necessarily, but in the in the next book, Wise Man's Fear, Denna spends months seeking out stories about the creation war and the story of Lanray, the story that Quoth hears from Scarpy in the in the end that kind of gets his brain going again, right? But she comes up in her research with, you know, directed by her patron, who we also think maybe is a Chandrian, uh, Mr. Ash, who could be Cinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, she finds a, the details that are pretty contradictory 
to the story that Scarpy told. Scarpy and maybe even Lauren Ammer are trying to maybe send out a message about the Chandrian that is incorrect. And the Chandrian may be out there just trying to correct that they're the victims, maybe. And they're just trying to correct, correct that story. And Denna has been pushed to find the truths and create this song that she does in Wise Man's Fear. Uh, that tells the story of Lanray that point Lanray that points it in a different direction, and we don't need to go into all everything that happens there. But interesting, she's plugged into this. It, it it's more it's it feels like way more than coincidence. She's not a pretty girl who happens to be good at music and happens to know a lot of stuff and happens to trip on answers about the Chandrian. She's got information somehow. She's a true seer that sees things for what they are like Quoth does. And right. I think these chapters are kind of meant to show us some of that. It's budding. A lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of the focus on Denna to this point has just been she's a girl and she's talented and smart and witty and beautiful. The object of Quoth's affection. Exactly. But these chapters show that she's got, you know, I think they show that she's clever before, but these chapters show that she's got some real intuition. Beyond clever. Some yeah. real true seeing kind of like Quoth does. And you know that there's more to her than meets the eye. Okay. Yeah, she's quite formidable for good or bad. Yeah, and right, and for good or bad is a great question, right? I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone knows, but there are a lot of. If you go to the Reddit, you can find all sorts of comments about this. Raise a. Um, there is to 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 move it a little further on Denna. You know, and and go, but also going back to this white mutant thing. Um. There's a thread out there. Uh, it's by it's the one I mentioned before by Smurfalicious about White Mutiny that theorizes that the event with the Dracus didn't even happen. Right. The entire thing is a lie. Mm-hmm. That what really happened is Denna herself got high or forgot this glamour of this person Denna and became her Chandrian self to cause havoc or something. And that what Quoth had to do in this adventure was stop Denna. And that's why she disappears and they're not together to go back to the town, back to the university later. And, you know, Quoth has to go back by himself and they're not together afterward. Is that he's actually stopped her and she's, you know, run away from something for her life. Right. Yeah. That he stopped her and that there is no Dracus. Mm -hmm. He's invented this entire tale um, to protect her. To, to, in the history, yeah, in the annals of so. time, it, it goes back to what we talked about in the non-spoiler section. What's his goal, right? Is he trying to get the audience to a point where they believe something about Denna, that she's good instead of evil, or that she's misunderstood, right? Know, like removing her from the official history at all. That no, oh, no, it wasn't a demon that went and attacked Tribon. It was a Dracus, and this is the most famous story you've ever read about Quoth, and it says it right here. That other story you heard about a black-haired demon girl is false. It's this is the true story, right? Like, is he trying to rewrite it and remove her from from that path by also putting her in part of the story? So, like, maybe they could see how the details got confused because she's in part of the story, right? But she's not the bad guy. Um. So yeah, it's, it's um, yeah. It is, it is a little wild. Do... What do you think? <laughs> uh, I don't. I, it's it's. 
I don't want to say far-fetched. I, I feel like the drop of white mutiny and going and researching, finding what, what that really means and where it's placed in the story feels very much like the Dracus story isn't real. Mm-hmm. And if it's not real, why tell it? What's, what is Patrick's or quotes motivation for spending all this time telling the story of this Dracus? If it's not, I mean, maybe it's just as simple as building up his legend. Maybe it is, but it feels like spending all this time to detail this story that has so many repeatable, exciting storytelling elements like in the coming chapters, a giant iron wheel being dropped on a demon, which is something that happens in the creation war story. Yeah. In, in the story of uh, Inconus, rather, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story people are familiar with that will resonate, right? And if there's not some reason to redirect that story in this way and m- make this make this up, why do it? Why spend all the time? Why not just skip the skip this part? Unless he's trying to correct something, skip a bit, change a narrative. Unless he's trying to change a narrative that already exists, mm-hmm. right? So it it does. I don't know why Adrakis. I don't know that it's Denna, but if he's if we believe the white mutiny thing that he's telling a lie here about the Dracus, we have to examine why. And I don't know why he'd do it unless he was trying to rewrite a narrative that already exists. Whether that's Denna or not, I don't. Right? Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I create th- the lie. Yeah. And now that I think about it, that's a ballsy lie considering who you're telling it to. You're telling it to one of the world's foremost experts on the Dracus. It's true. And if you get any detail wrong, he's the one that's going to figure it out. Right. Yeah. Like, wait a second. But he also has said he won't interrupt. So. (laughs) But, but you're right. It's a good point because um, anyone, anyone, not anyone, but certainly some people reading eventually the story that Chronicle publishes will be like, oh, Devin Lockie's the story of Quoth. And it's got this whole thing about Dracus. Wait a minute. There's this whole book about Dracus. It's like a, it it like mislead it like adds support to the story. It that actually this person would. wrote yep. both things, right? That yep. He didn't quibble mm-hmm. with any of these details he about didn't the Dracus. Quibble with it. Yeah. It's right in there. Good point. It's, cor- it's correct. Mm-hmm. And he wrote mm-hmm. it and you know, like it there are sources that align. Yep. Right? Which Quoth is always looking for sources that align about well, it's in the next book, I guess, but um that's important to him. Um, mm. Plus, dude, just like a six foot tall, fifteen foot long beast, and no one's seen it before. I know it's a big world yeah. out there. I know it's it a is. big world it, out there. Yeah. But I, no, I had that thought too. It's like he says there can't be more than 200 of them. I'm like 200 fucking where? Yeah. Like 200. That's a lot. You could have told me 12 and I would have been like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a huge, huge universe. Like if you look at the map, Sakansus Mapas, I mean, it's, I haven't done that in a while. Uh, the map we've covered, like, you know, so far one 80th of the map i mean it's huge it's it's giant yeah and so yeah there there could be draxes around there and all sorts of things about them and i suppose environments and 
one could not be seen, but I don't know, man. It just feels yeah. like someone would have seen something yeah. at some point. That big? Six feet tall. I bet the Chandrian hate him. So like that damn blue fire they make keeps getting the stories told. They think <laughs> it's us, man. Stop with the blue fire already. Which is not, yeah. Yeah, I it it does seem it does seem rare, but you know, we know that they exist because he Lockheed's wrote this common mating habits of the common dracus before any yeah. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we know they do exist. Mm-hmm. He could be embellishing the details of how big they are and everything, or how many there are, how long they live, or something. But if he did that, it would be in contrast to the information in the other book. And it wouldn't align, and that would cause maybe some discord in the record checking, right? Yeah. Which we do know Quoth has read the book. So he yeah. would potentially know those details. And when Patrick wants, Quoth has a a perfect memory. When he wants. <laughs> when Patrick wants him to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got but an easy a- out. He's got the what is it they call it where they lock memories away? Yeah, the door can... the doors of you know, the, the door of sleep, the door of door of yeah, yeah brief, something. I don't know what they're called. Yeah. So he's got an easy out anytime yes. Patrick has an easy out anytime he needs Quoth to remember something. It's just like, oh, he used yeah. his learned magic mm-hmm. to pull that back out of whatever memory yeah. bank it was stored in. It's true. Yep. Good job, Pat. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Sparty. Uh, but yeah, I, so all this stuff with if the Dracus story isn't true, it goes back to that conversation we had earlier. If the Dracus story isn't true and he's gotten approval to lie to them, mm-hmm. what else is he lying about? Sure. Absolutely. And why? Calls into question just What's about everything, which is why it's driving answers. me bananas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we. There probably aren't answers to this until we get, you know, doors of stone. Not really. We can guess, but. Yep. Hmm. I'll be honest with you, man. This wasn't my favorite set of chapters. No, it was good. It was fine. I felt, I felt like the conversation we had was really good about them. Better than I uh, thought it would be. Yeah, me too. Which I shouldn't but... second guess us anymore. Like just because I'm not going in with many notes. We always end up having a good conversation. We can weave magic out of uh, fell apart. I don't know what the analogy is, but we can weave magic. Yeah, we can. Been doing it for almost ten years. That's right. <sighs> yeah, August, it's a little too right? much. Yeah, August. It's a little too much meandering for me. Up to this cliff, over to that cliff, down to that cliff, over back over the original bluff. That's like. Traveling meandering or yeah, a little bit with nothing really like, yeah, there's a part of me that's very princess bridey. I'm going to bring in another princess bride Uh and then my ears, I suppose, get on with it. (laughs) Talking about the pain. No, your ears you keep. And I'll tell you why. why, So that every babe that weeps, that's a great moment. It's a fantastic. So good. So good. He says, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) <laughs> amazing. 
And then when he tells him to sit Wrong. down, he does that little sit thing where he like flips up his little skirts. And he like... <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So oh. good. Uh, and you know me, I'm fine with, you know, taking the long way around if it mm-hmm. means solid character development. Yeah. Maybe we pointed out some stuff here together that I missed just reading it by myself, but it did just seem kind of like they were a yeah. little bit on autopilot, just journeying through it's, things. Some well, silly, just, I don't know. It's a little Scooby Doo, right? Like if they're trying to solve a mystery, mm-hmm. focused on that mystery, and so it's it's a departure from some of the character growth and some of the the main storylines. I mean, ostensibly they're looking after the Chandrian, which follows that main line of the story, and we do have their relationship and the budding romance. It's part of that main thread of the story. But ostensibly, these chapters are, not ostensibly, actually, these chapters are really about A, something that maybe didn't even really happen, which is awesome. But B, you know, it's it's something that doesn't really advance the main plot. And so yeah. it's easy to kind of not care as much, um, you know, other than the fact that it's just kind of building both heroes. Just building. I still, yeah. I still, in, I still enjoy these chapters. They but were fine. I, I, I'd agree with you. They're not my favorite. Right. Yeah. Yep. It's funny you said advanced. I my last sentence is I guess I just didn't feel any real advancement of the story, nor yeah. the arcs of the characters. Yeah, and 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 making it maybe worse is the way I cut these chapters, you know, and decided to cover them for mm-hmm. lengthwise or whatever. We didn't actually get the conclusion. No. Right. So and- maybe maybe we would have felt a little bit better about it if we got the conclusion of the Dracus story uh in these chapters, but it would have nah. been would have been a lot more. Yeah. So. You even asked me about that. That was, yeah, that's fine. And I yeah. even said, well, let's just do it this way. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. I think it's fine. I think it's it so good. Mm-hmm. Chapters are fine. Yep. It's great getting fun. real close. So. Getting real close. Crazy, brother. Crazy. Yeah. I'm done if you're done. I'm done. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Really glad you guys were here, everybody. And I'm really glad to uh, just remind you as I sign off tonight that you're always stiffest when you wake up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dennis says something very sweet. I think she's under the influence of drugs when she says it. But she says to Clove, it's my job to notice things about you. Kalsar, not to make anyone sad if you don't have it yet, but find somebody who you notice things about. You know, it's a good goal. That's it. Thanks it is a beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to notice things about? All right, Skitty. <laughs> good night. Good night, Kalisar. Later. Good night, Kalisar. Mm-hmm.